Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lehman Industries Radio. This is a severance review podcast brought to you by Magnum Talks. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here and joined by my co-host, Mr. Spencer. How are you today? Happy to be back after an unexpected break. I'm happy to be back as well. We skipped a week. It's the holiday. We were both traveling. But we are back. Our Audis are ready to badge back into Lehman. <laughs> Are you ready to badge back into Lumen, get in the elevator, go down, and switch over? Are you ready? After my very unfortunate food poisoning episode, yes, I'm happy to return. Okay, we are back to review episode three. I believe this is Perpetuity? In Perpetuity, indeed. In Perpetuity, perpetuity is the wing. Uh, A lot of play on words there, but we also we do get to travel to the Perpetuity Wing with our cruise innies today. Spencer, we're now three episodes in. Uh, I had talked to you a little bit about when this show was live how people felt about the flow of the season there if they for the most part people love this fucking show but if there was one complaint from people it was that maybe early on it was a tad slow and for when i when i'm watching it in retrospect this episode in particular felt to me like something you could you could maybe level that criticism at did it feel slow to you it's definitely not a show that sprints it's not even a show that moves at a comfortable jog. It is a show that is very content to move at its own pace. And this is an episode that felt like it was more focused on lore than necessarily forward progression of the plot in any bigger, grandiose kind of way. I still found it very interesting. I still found, you know, this was, a, this was an episode that just shined a giant spotlight on, hey, this is a cult. Maybe you didn't pick that up already. What? But now we really want you to understand that this is a cult that... More than a little bit resembles Scientology in some ways. I don't know about that. I mean, it seems like they're just selling uh, palms and oils and salves. Hilly practically had an auditing done by means of having to read a script over and over again. It's a cult. That's what this episode was here to emphasize. And it worked for me. I still found that very interesting. There were times I wasn't as excited at the end of this episode as I was at the last two. I wasn't as energized. But I was still very much enamored with the world that they're painting and the mystery that they're adding little elements to as each time as each day goes on. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of episode where I'm like furiously googling, like, are are we sure there's not like source material for this? Like, they didn't they're not pulling from a book. No, this is just nope. a television show. They're just writing it. It's just rich in <clears throat> context and background, and I I really appreciate that. I would say though that. This is was this for your a low show, point? For a show I love so much, I, I hate being pejorative in any type of way. It's my least favorite of the episodes. You said this. You you, you layered this as like the, the expectation of what you went through is that by episode three, the almost default fan response is, "Why the hell am I watching this? Right. What's the point?" Yeah, and I can get that. I got that exact same thing from my parents who rapidly lapped me given they don't have to watch one episode a week to actually do this podcast they had the same response as of this episode so it doesn't seem like people are alone in that regard this one is kind of the rubicon point for continuing on with the show or not well i would highly 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 recommend anybody listening who watched this episode and felt like ah it's a little slow i'm not getting a lot hang tight at least watch episode four just at least watch the next episode um, it does get a lot better, I think. It, we start to get answers. The plot starts to move. But for now, we're not talking about those episodes. We're talking about episode three uh, of season one of Severance in Perpetuity. It's a Mango Talk podcast. If you like this podcast, you like listening to me and Spencer Gab, you like hearing our thoughts on television, movies, books, every other thing that we can think to talk about. 
go to mangumtalks.com. That's mangumtalks.com to check out all of our other stuff. You can also go to your favorite podcast platform. Just type in Mangum Talks. And that's the keywords, man. All of our stuff will pop up. Spencer and I have reviewed a lot of different television. And we are oh, in the middle yeah. of a lot of television. I'll tell you, like, we we probably will pick up a few shows as the, as the rest of the year goes on. But here's a couple that I know we will do. Um, in some form or fashion, Mangum Talks over on the podcast feed, Mangum Talks Star Wars will cover the Ahsoka series. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ahsoka trailer was released today. We found out that in late August, they're going to release two episodes uh, to start that show. In some form or fashion, myself, Spencer, Jimmy, we will review the Ahsoka series. And I also know that if and when, Spencer, not it, not not if, when, my friend, I'm, I'm positive today. Is that badge in the lumen? House of the Dragon comes back. We will be reviewing House of the Dragon. Spencer, did you 100%. hear that House of the Dragon ended their uh, ended their filming today, or not today? Oh, I think it was maybe last week, but very recently they they ended filming for season two. So, what is your bet then? But based on that information, how long will it take for them to finish the special effects, do all the editing necessary to get it to the screen? I, mean, I, believe... I usually say like twelve years because that's me. But you know, you probably have a more optimistic bet. Well, they they this is got this is now. So D&D doesn't run this show, right? So D&D got pretty, I would say, at least from a production standpoint, kind of diva-ish with HBO. Sure. Um, telling them, riches. like, I'll get, I'll get it out when I get it out type of deal. House of the Dragon doesn't have the same deal, right? So they are on the hook to deliver the episodes in April of next year. Like, my understanding is they're going to finish up some in-studio filming not like on site right but like in a in a sound stage they're going to do some stuff to to fill in the gaps especially around a lot of the cgi special effects and that episodes will start uh around next march i think that's when we're going to get it and and the cool part about that is that it's probably going to be one of the last shows to premiere before we start to get a sort of content desert based on this writer's Ah, strike the writer's strike Um, which will affect our coverage of season two of Severance, right? Because season two of Severance was severed. Ha huh? It was cut. In, in perpetuity. In the middle. Uh, so eventually we'll cover season two of Severance. But right now we're doing season one. So that's all the stuff we got going to Mangum Talks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, if you do enjoy this podcast or others, please rate, review, subscribe. Any of the reviews we get, any of the back and forth we have with fans on the various podcast platforms or at facebook.com slash Talks or twitter.com slash mangum talks we enjoy all that stuff uh rest assured that if you're interacting with mangum talks in any capacity across the internet you are talking to me you are not talking to spencer (laughs) Uh, please don't ever think you're talking to spencer because you're not if you have a question for him you can give it to me i'll get it across his desk see if i can get it approved but uh you are talking to me yeah to put it in terms of the show lee is my any lee does all of that work and whether he's able to get a message to me or not is controlled by factors very much outside of my control Spencer's the talent. And let's get to his talents right now. We're going to review this episode. So we'll start with the recap. I'll leave the recap. Spencer will chime in with witty anecdotes, comments, probably a lot of questions. And then, we will, mm-hmm. then we will get to best line of the episode, which is the best line of dialogue of the episode. I and I alone am the Mr. Milchick of that segment. I will select it. Uh, but Spencer will game me, gamely every week, supply me with nominees. Then we will award employee of the episode i feel like we are going to have a knockdown drag out about employee of the episode this week it is a controversial week for employee of the episode i feel like you and i have different perspectives on what merits employee of the episode like i think you're actually looking for a decent human being and i'm working looking for the most loyal drone it makes for a hilarious difference of opinion on this subject because i think we're both right just very different perspectives i really do think we're going to come away 
because I, I was watching it thinking, I bet Spencer's going to pick this person and I'm going to pick this person. I was like gaming out the, the argument. Yeah. Um, and then we will do our final segment, which is America's favorite segment. It is Spencer's questions with Spencer. Was Spencer poses questions out into the ether you. about just what the hell we're watching. And I will either not answer, answer, or partially answer each question that he posits. Spencer, are you ready to jump in the episode? Damn straight, man. All right, we start with a previously on. A lot of PD stuff. Milchick with this quote, you guys are one of my favorite office friendships. We, we hammered that one hard. That was an interesting line. Mm-hmm. Wellness, the melon bar. Bert, I met that guy. He's a fuck. Man, Dylan really doesn't like Bert. The scary numbers thing. Helly trying to quit. Mark being out of work. Funny timing. Mark and Petey talking and the map of the floor. Petey being in Mark's house and his medical event at the end of the last last episode. And that is our previously on. As a reminder to everybody, I always touch on the previously on because I feel like they're trying to tell us what to focus on, right? So I think it is relevant to the episode. So 100%. we start with Mark asking Petey if he's okay. Mark asking again. I'll tell you. It crossed my mind that Petey might have died at the end of that last episode. Did it not you? Uh, they were purposely leaving that open. It, it, you know, if, if we existed in a world of where there were no TV guide, there were no online commentary, if we were back in us watching television in the early 90s, that would be everyone, everything everybody could talk about at the end of the last episode. Did Petey die in, the, in, 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 the, in mm-hmm. that shower? Is he gone? Is Mark going to have to now, you know, dispose of a corpse? No, not yet. Yeah, so we hear his voice. Yeah, I'm good. I just slipped. You should invest in a bath mat, maybe. So he's alive. Mark sort of dismisses the idea of the bath mat. Says the robe is a gift from his brother-in-law. Of course it was. Of fucking course it was. His brother-in-law got him this awful robe. Mark wants to clarify. I've never worn it or anything. Sorry, it's weird. Mark says he has pillows for him. I'm with Petey on this one. I want, more than anything, you to stop shitting on that awesome robe. That is an awesome robe. Mark tells him he can keep it then. Petey says, I will. Petey asks if Mark is sure no one can see inside any of these transoms. A word I've not heard very often. What? Can you tell me what that word means? Transoms? Uh, I assumed he was referring to the, the weird little kinds of boxy windows that he got there. But uh, a, tr- a transom, transom is an architecture, a transverse horizontal structural beam or bar separating a door from a window above it. What a weird word to use. Mark says, yeah. I don't think he's using it correctly either. I don't think he is either. Because he says, can anyone see inside any of these transoms? I think he's talking about the townhome. Uh, Mark says, yeah, and everything's locked upstairs. Petey asks if anyone lives in the unit next door. Mark says, no. It's just Miss Selwig in the other direction. Ah, I really want Petey to see Miss Selwig so bad. He's. I hadn't put two and two together on here. The neighborhood looked kind of empty. I didn't realize it's literally only the two of them. That's it. it. I'm not sure of that. Are we are we sure of that? Uh, no, it's just Mrs. Selvig in the other direction. The neighborhood never really filled up, so it's nice, quiet. There's an implication here that it, I interpret that as meaning it's literally only the two of them. Maybe it's just that there's like, you know, ten people in this otherwise hundred-person neighborhood. So I took it as it could be it could be that it's just two of them, but but we, we don't know for sure exactly how many people, but we do know it's not a lot, right? It's it's Certainly not, not around him. They're not playing with the visuals when we look at this neighborhood and it looks empty. I think this is some some dialogue what, that confirms what we're seeing, which is this is a really empty neighborhood. Which would fit everything we've seen so far of the you know the uh, the severed floor on Lumen. It is a massive amount of space for remarkably few people. That seems that seems like that resonates throughout all of Lumen's properties right now. PD calls it his fortress. Mark's Fortress of Solitude. Then we get a strange cutscene with Irvin walking into the bathroom, going on about a mixer that would be nice. And 
the fact that it's not expressly prohibited in the manual. Petey, dressed up in the office now, he's his office garb as we cut back to him, says, dude, I pressed Kobol for an all-floor mixer last quarter. She said, you'll get one when you earn it, whatever that means. Mark is confused as to who Kobol is. So that's Mark it. is Because Mark is jumping back and forth between moments in time. Petey, I can't imagine Dylan's 4% on Sunset Park is going to help with the camera sort of spinning. We go back to Petey, who is now in a bathrobe, cut back to Mark's basement. Mark is asking if he's okay. Petey, I'm sorry. Yeah, with the sickness, I just get disoriented. It's temporary. How would he know that? How would he know anything about that? He disclosed last episode that he is the first person ever to have this sickness. He's clearly been told such, but how would they know that? But he reiterates later. He reiterates later that whoever did the reintegration reassured him that he would get better, and he seems to be holding out a lot of hope for that. But like you just said, no one knows. No one has any way to know whether you know reinserting two lives together in a way that renders him effectively Vonnegut style unstuck in time has any happy ending at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you know. Well, Mark, Mark comes in and says, well, 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 what is Sunset Park? So he's speaking out loud. Yeah. Um, so we, we know that. But it, it's just, I don't think that Petey would have any concept of what's no. next for him here. Um, just and hope. I think that it begs the question, Wing who is telling him that he'll be okay? Who was helping him with the reintegration? The, his mysterious reintegration benefactors. All we know is that they're not the whole mind collective as we get later. Otherwise, we know jack about these people and I have theories. Cuts at the opening credits, which slaps every week. Doesn't it slap? Oh, God, it's a yeah. good opening credit. It's interesting, too, the, the emphasis on the color red in terms of what one of the little marks is wearing. Because other than that bathrobe, red is not a color on this show. No. Ever. Uh-uh. This show is all white, black, and gray. Pretty much. And silver. Steel. That's it. That's that's the that's the very much monochrome colors this show operates in. So that red that we see on the bathrobe that he brought out, on the cover of the book, and otherwise on um, the would appear to be almost like a jumpsuit or maybe even pajamas that he's wearing in the intro. The only times it appears. So definitely, definitely highlights it in that kind of, you know, otherwise very rigid color scheme. I think that's a great point. That's uh, a really good point. It, you know what color you don't see on this fucking show? Green. Green's getting, man, green is really taking a backseat. It's such a lovely decision on the show's part to film this in the dead of winter, assuming any other, you know, season exists. In that's this a world. question. I don't know. This, this fucking hellscape that is, I'm convinced it's rural Ohio. That's where it has to be. It's gotta be. <laughs> the other hellscape. Armpit rural of Ohio. <laughs> Cut to the inside of Miss Selig's refrigerator. So we get one of those inside refrigerator shots. I think they're just playing with filmmaking there a little bit. And she gets some milk, milk out, she, pours herself a glass. She baked the cookies. Yeah. She baked them. I would have lost so much money on that. I assume that those were delivered to her, but no, she baked them. She got one batch wrong and made another batch so they'd be better. So here is what that detail and maybe some of the back like behind the scenes stuff that we're starting to get with Kobol and Milchik tells me this is a slim operation. This is a slim operation of where I'm convinced they're being monitored in almost the same experimental fashion as the people that they're monitoring. This yeah, is, they don't have th- help. This is, this is rushing nesting dolls of limited resources, much observation. Yeah. Here's the turtles a all so, the way up and down. All right. So I hired someone today. I got to do that. It's a really wonderful thing when you get to do it. When One of your favorite to, parts of the job. When you get to send somebody an offer and they take it and they're happy to join. Yeah. We did two to three weeks probably of, of real hard thinking and diligence about the you know this hire. 
Mm-hmm. My question for you is, how long do you think they think before they hire a Milchik position? It seems so integral. Like, because it, it's such a slim fucking operation. Everything. Everything hedges on this guy. Everything. Everything, right? It, it's like... He's, he has every job. This He's guy's more everything. vetted than fucking Biden is for the job. Like, it's like... It's got to be years they, 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 they either vet, prepare, background research, indoctrination, whatever, what? to prepare these people for this job. It is not a, hey, you're joining this big team. We'll you know, put an application and we'll interview and hire you. It's got to be a much more complicated fucking operation it, than that. It's fascinating to see how, how they – we don't see Milchik, you know, aggressively interviewed by anybody. No one's talked negative to Milchik at all. Because it's almost that situation of, like, if there's a department – and there's the boss, but there's also like the senior uh, professional, the senior secretary that actually is running the whole damn thing and has for the last 30 years. <laughs> the boss can be replaced. If you lose that person, though, everything collapses. So what you're saying is that Milchik is the law office secretary of Lumen. Yes. <laughs> he is the long-suffering legal assistant of that firm, whereas Coble is just like the new... Person brought in to run the division, but can easily be dropped and replaced at the whim of the senior executives. And I think she feels that, right, during this episode. I think we see that, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to it. So anyway, she sits down with her sheet pan of baked goods. And um, I'll tell you this about Coble. Needs to tidy the kitchen up a little bit. That's a that's uncomfortable for me. I was going to ask you: Are you are you one of the people that cleans while you cook? Yeah, absolutely. You have to clean your I, I am a hundred percent that because my disaster scenario is ending the meal and then having to clean all that shit. Up. It look yeah. I it, you have to clean your station. Like it's just fundamental to to cooking. And it just like I, I watch that. It stresses me out. Like I don't, I don't let my kitchen ever it, get that sideways. It's stacked precariously with burnt cookies on a tray and what mixing bowls. It's like that's never going to be cleaned. Cut back to Petey. It's like having two different lives suddenly stitched together, but the relativity is fucked. So my first day at Lumen is as far back as my fifth birthday. And with the two past, it blurs the present too. But they said it will get better. Let me read that again. Yeah, go on ahead. It's like having two different lives suddenly stitched together, but the relativity is fucked. So my first day at Lumen is as far back as my fifth birthday. With the two past... It blurs the present too, but they said it will get better. What? That sounds like an utter waking nightmare. That that is just you know an invitation to mental collapse, as we see in this episode. I'm amazed Petey made it this long. If that's been his day to day of just bouncing about through an un, you know time traveler's wife style of moments in his life. What it what it said to me is like this to do this to reintegrate and to try to exist. Like, it takes a lot of mental strength, I would think. Like, it takes like, somebody who's really determined and really working at this and has some, like, real strong mentals in place. And what he's given up, as we find out a little bit later in this conversation. Finish the conversation. Let's talk about this loss this guy's endured for the sake of what he's done. Mark asks who they is. PD says they is a group of people who know that severance is a blight on mankind and they're going to do something about it. Whoa, Mark says... The whole mind collective, Petey scoffs at that, calls them kids trolling for signatures downtown. No, not the WMC. Petey says someone else. Mark, all right, well, so what do you want from me, Petey? Don't you want to know what you're doing down there? Mark, okay, look, I'm not going to unsever. Petey says, well, I don't want you to unsever because unsever is not a word. (laughs) Reintegration, however. (laughs) And this is the moment we learned that Petey is a bit of a rules lawyer. Understood. Now I know this about Petey. Not going to get to know it for about him for very long, but now I know it. 
it was a moment where I was like, oh, man, I think I've had like that same like template of a conversation with Spencer before. Oh, Spencer, I want you to un unsubscribe, whatever the word is. Uh, and you're like, yeah, well, well I'm not going to do that because that's not a word. But let's, let's well, calm down. Like, you I'll, have to understand the root actually comes from Latin rather than Greek. So really to understand the plural of the word you're attempting. And then at this point, I'm just seeing you utterly turn away <laughs> from the conversation and look at your phone. <laughs> that's true i probably would do that i'd get on twitter and argue about wrestling mark whatever it hasn't been a blight for me it's helped pd asked if the cost of that help is that he's murdering people for eight hours a day would you even Fair. want to know that mark well in my pd look i found a department one they don't tell us about one where you don't get to leave is this and o&d is the implication this is o&d i don't fucking know um mark says well none of us get to leave right pd says no 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 like really don't get to leave like they are physically down there now mark's like are they chained up pd shushed him says he's not going to talk about it here he doesn't know if the monitors are bugged or if irving's going to walk in pd's not here anymore and by here i mean in this present moment but what's interesting to me is that mark doesn't know who irvin is no this is not a clue but he pieces together what's going on it it, was it i think that if you weren't paying attention (laughs) like maybe me the first time through you might have thought that the that the reference to Irving caused Mark to say PD were not at Lumen, but it's not. There's two different things. Yeah, there's no continuity problems with respect to this. Mark's just putting two and two together. Yeah, Mark says... Then where there's the- a lot of continuity problems in PD's head, but that's a separate issue. PD, then where the fuck is June? PD holds his head. Seems to be having more pain. Mark, I'm sorry. Mark asked who June is. Noticed he didn't ask who Irving is. I just want to point yeah. that out. He did not stop and ask who Irving is. He asked who June was. Just a, mm-hmm. just a data point. PD explains that June is his daughter, greatest kid on earth, and happens to be a hell of a guitar player. And someone that he presumably, I'm guessing June's been, who's been calling him on the phone. I'm guessing that's been June who's been trying to call him on the phone. Because he has, June's presumably, well, I mean, certainly an issue, a, a subject of his Audi. And a subject that his Audi has not been able to experience, any, t- spend any time with since he's been reintegrated. Or at least particularly since he's now been on the lam from Lumen. So June, greatest kid on earth, light of his life, hell of a guitar player, is someone that has now been left to the wayside as a necessary consequence of the decisions he's made. Yeah, absolutely. Mark just looks at him. Petey, how happy are you that you asked me to stay here? Then we get a shot of someone looking in the window, and it's Miss Selwig. She's watching Mark clearly and eating a baked good while doing it. She says, oh, Mark, are you all right? There's a few moments in this that lead me to be confused between, you know, Kobol, Solvig, Harmony, as we get later. What is actually her thought? What are actually her thoughts on Mark? We get some interesting stuff here in a minute. This is one of the moments just in private where that almost sounded sincere, which just leaves me uncertain and confused as to how this person actually feels about Mark. Cut to Mark watching the news. Here's what the news is saying. I got the news for you. You ready? Mm. But what do we say? What do you say, Natalie, to the woman who became pregnant at work less than a month after her company went severed? Well, uh, first, I suggest you reveal her identity if she wants an honest conversation about her experience. Okay. The response. How can she have that conversation when her worky is the one involved? Lady cuts him off. First of all, worky. The guy responds. That, as I understand it, is the preferred term among she says, I think it's exactly the type of condescending language I'd expect from a group of people trying to save people from their own choices. Choices did her any, Inzi, he says, Inzi, 
So the, 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 the lexicon's all over the place. She questions yeah. that term. He says it's someone who brain has been split in half. She says that has nothing to do what we do at Lumen, nor any severance procedures. The guy says, I know you don't want to answer my questions that reveal you are complicit in something totally immoral. What's immoral is taking away. He changes the channel. So what we get from that exchange is there is a lot of public discourse around severance and sure. Lumen is sending their representatives, people who work. She said what we do at Lumen, she's a part of Lumen, onto the shows to advocate for severance. And Lumen's not the only company that's doing this. No. He, he doesn't say Lumen. He just says after her company. This is now becoming a trend, which is terrifying. Oh, yeah. Other companies are doing it. But it seems like Lumen might be like it, the, uh, the gold standard of, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, maybe. Uh, a little too positive. Yeah. It, they are the flag bearer for this this type of work. And she's on the damn television show advocating for it. Yeah, they're probably one of the ones that originally introduced the procedure and have now been marketing other companies how to do it. So it's their product. How would you score the bout, by the way, between uh, the, the subtitles said Natalie and Stephen? How between Natalie, the Lumen, Lumen Lady, and Stephen, who I think is for the whole mind collective, who wins this bout in terms of the television that we see? It's like every fucking talking news segment I've seen on specifically Fox News. I know you don't like the name, the actual things that you, you like to stay above the fray. It, Fox it, News is really bad. Col- no, even the color scheme is Fox. Fox News. Like, Fox is so bad about this. Doing. It's, no it's one Fox ever wins. It's just a fucking stalemate. It's people talk past each yeah. other. They condescend to each other. They insult each other. They try to get one over. Nobody's ever talking about the substance of the thing. It's a it's a draw because it's bullshit. What do you think? I, I, I would say I think she pulls ahead slightly because he falls for a trap of where she allows him, he allows her to just constantly challenge him over minutia, of where like the subject of what what, what the terms he uses worky versus inzy in, in worky and inzy yeah yeah he should have just straight up after she objected to work he just said okay what terms would you like to, would you prefer I use and then just cut her off from that one going forward you know she was going to jump on him every time with respect to that going forward so. He falls into an obvious trap there. I think she gets some points in terms of just the people that would be watching that show anyway. I just don't think, I, I think it's a no-win situation. Because I think even if he, sure if, he if he does that, she'd be. go, oh, well, I don't think you should call them. They're the same person. You don't you don't call them anything different. Like, I think, you know, she'd, she'd, she'd challenge the premise mm-hmm. that, that these are two separate people. And then you, you just spiral further in the conversation. I just feel like she, the whole conversation seems to have gotten inane and insufferable imagine that on cable news and they're not arguing the substance of it anymore and that i think that's a that's a really important insight that we see there um, uh, he's good uh, go and as we see later i'm not entirely 100 percent convinced that natalie is human not certain she might be a robot with a otherwise not perfectly human smile crafted on her I'll be interested to hear more about that. He clearly switched it to some comedy and he falls asleep. He wakes up the next morning and the news is telling him it's going to be a beautiful day around Kier. So the city is called Kier? They named it Kier. They named the city Kier. God! So the founder is named Kier Egan. So they named the city that they Lumen is in Kier. And it does seem that Lumen has created a municipality. Uh, mm-hmm. They've got neighbor- neighborhoods. With its own complex. It's all Lumen, it yeah. seems like. But the roads will remain icy throughout the week. He gathers themselves. We see a shot of the neighborhood, and it really does does seem super empty. I mean, it doesn't seem full at all. Uh, it doesn't seem like any people are in there. 
I'm pretty convinced he's the only dude that works. It's just him and Mrs. Selvig. That's it. Mark goes downstairs and wakes up Petey. Mark reminds him he's in his basement because Petey's a little disoriented when he first wakes up. Mark tells him he's going to work. Mark tells him he can stay there. Uh, I just want you to know, uh, I'm I'm not going to reintegrate, okay? Petey says, okay. Mark explains that he lost his wife in a car accident a few years ago, and this is, quote, helping him. Bullshit, Mark. Keep repeating it. Maybe that'll make it true. Petey says, I'm sorry. Mark just says, okay. Petey says, at work, you'd come in sometimes with red eyes. We had a joke that you had an elevator allergy. There's even a song for it. What I always wondered, you carry the hurt with you. You feel it down there, too. You just don't know what it is. Favorite line of the episode. Favorite exchange of the episode. Because that's just such a fascinating thought right there. Is that doesn't matter if you don't literally have the memories. It's still you. It's still your emotions that are affecting you. It's still your baggage, even if you can't access it. And in some way, not having the memory is, is much, much worse. Because you, you, there's, no, there's no way to process. There's no way to deal with what he's feeling, right? It, it's untreated. It's even more untreated depression because he doesn't have he doesn't have anything to explain it away with. Yeah, Mark just looks at him and says, "Okay, why don't you grab whatever you want from the fridge? I should be back around six. Mark goes outside. Far away shot of him. They're they're very fond of doing this, of showing how small humans are. Right in the in the shots, they love when Mark walks outside and is on his stoop to back up and make Mark look small. They do this a lot with the filming." Uh, of the show. I don't, Very I, much I, I'm not sure, you know, we can pause it. We can write our English 101 papers about why they're doing that. But they, they do a lot of shots to show people as very small. Then we see Miss Selwick. In, 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 insignificant little widgets in the machine. Yeah. Who has a hairdryer outside as she's de-icing her stoop. <laughs> you ever tried this, by the way? Have not. No. Can't recommend it. I have tried. Not... You will look you will look weird doing it. You will feel weird doing it. And it won't work while you do it. I've dumped hot water. Um, I've done I've done pop water before. I've, I've more often than not I've just waited for the damn thing to melt. Yeah, that works too. Well, you but where you're at won't take much time. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks uh, her again it, for the cookies. If it ices in South Florida, I'm coming to you. Hell has frozen over yeah, yeah, and occupied trouble. its home state. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, if, if we get free, if it freezes down there in Florida, then there's nowhere for you to go. It's frozen, mm-hmm. frozen everywhere else. Uh, she says she's going to bring my uh, bring by more. Mark says, please see. Now, you, you done fucked me up, Spencer. First time I watched this through, I was convinced Miss Coble, probably not severed, probably there just to watch Mark, to ensure that the Audi never speaks to the Yenny, that nothing is, nothing's going aside. Matter of fact, one of the main things I was worried about is I was like, when does Miss Coble ever get off work? She seems to work all the fucking time. She seems to. You know what I'm thinking now? What you thinking now? Sexual tension. You got this in my head. I don't, that's all I can think. Is is she going to fuck him too? Well, look what she does with the candle later. Look the little intimate gesture she does when she pockets his wife's candle. I don't know, man. I got th- Now you've got it in my head. So that, that, when that every interaction, I'm like, I think I might see something here. I mean, Mark even tells her, yeah, bring more cookies. Bring them on over. Oh, yeah. Bring more cookies, please. I find them so sweet and delectable. Uh, milkshake brings... We, we see another drone shot of Lumen. We see Mark dropping <laughs> things off in the elevator. Uh, he goes through security. He badges in. Intense music as he gets in the elevator. Cut to Mark, who is now his any. Whoop, whoop. We did it. And he gets the sheet for the day. But it is also on the sheet for the day is the picture of them all together. I had not pondered, as we see here in a second, that he wouldn't be able to understand the progress of time. 
that he wouldn't know that he missed a day. Because why would he? Nope. Every day is just a, every day is just the next day. Nope. They all know, and they yeah. approach and him like like a guy who has just come back from work. Right. The first thing yes. Helly wants to tell him what she did the day before. I did a thing. I deleted the scary numbers. Mark mm-hmm. is like, you did. She tells him you were gone, which is news to him. And that is something that I don't. It's a, it's a wonderful detail. I suspect the vast majority of the audience had the same reaction. I went, oh, yeah, you wouldn't, would you? It hadn't even crossed my mind that, yeah, his perception of reality is directly controlled by his presence on this floor. From his perspective, no time has passed. Irvin tells Mark that Dylan took over training for him. Dylan comments that Mark looks thin, wonders aloud if Mark went through food poisoning. Dylan says, welcome back, boss. New photos coming in. Mark points out that now... Or now, Irvin points out that now, yeah. now, now he, he can, can get, get rid, rid of, of the elephants. Now. I, I'm so sorry I had to call you out on your very obvious, inappropriate, sanctionable bullshit. But now we can all agree that everything is fine if you don't ever do that again. Spencer equals Irvin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell- yeah, in some ways, yes. <laughs> I would be friends with Christopher Walken if I ran into him in the hallway. Kelly tells him he can, he can skip it. She put in her resignation request. You can get rid of the. You can get rid of the, Get rid of these pictures. You can get rid of them. Mark verifies that. Uh, well, you, you submitted it, and she says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It, it means you won't get to send me to. The, you won't get sent to the break room anymore on my behalf." Basically, she is so much more confident than I would be in her shoes right now. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It seems to me like she still thinks that the resig- the resignation request actually goes to her Audi. This didn't perfectly square with me because they basically told her already it didn't. Like I they agree. spent the I, last I, 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 yeah, I agree with him. Yeah, go ahead. They, they spent like the last episode and a half explaining to her is that yeah, they're never approved. It's like no, you're here forever. This is just your life now. They, you, you can't get out. Meanwhile, she's like she's she's in this moment like they just advised her a minute ago. Said, of course, you can submit it and power to you. It's page three of the handbook of the exact procedure for how you do it. It seems nothing of that. It seems to me that Helly has an outsized faith in her own Audi and that she also, cause she probably thinks her Audi, like she's probably going through this thing of like my Audi would never want someone to be working against their will. and would never be okay with the subjugation of, blah, blah, blah. she's probably thinking all those things. You don't know, but I also, Audi. you've never met, but I also think that she's just in this sort of like desperate hope. Yeah, this delusional stage of acceptance, right? Where you you go into the stages of grief and you like get, get to delusion and you get to like thinking that you know things are different than they really are. You're 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 not accepting reality as it is, and then you finally get to acceptance eventually. And and I think that like what Here these we people are. go through when they get hired and that what they are in there, they're going through grief because they're realizing, oh my gosh, like I'm enslaved. I'm never going to enjoy myself, and my life is effectively this just one long fucking mono train of bullshit. And it, it, I think they go through a grieving process of some some fashion, and that's what we got from <laughs> Kate Haley. Did you ever watch The Simpsons back in the day? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm reminded of that sign that Mr. Burns makes Homer hang on his wall after he comes back the job of, don't forget you're here forever. Yeah. That should just be the maximum. That should be above every doorway that they pass is that... You are literally here forever. Enjoy. Yeah, but Your existence will cease if this ever ends. So that is absolutely the fact, right? But it's just strange to me that like Lumen doesn't want you to say this stuff out loud. Oh no, 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 no. 
they seem to believe that if they just keep repeating the lie hard enough to you and denying you any other thoughts to have, you'll make this your world and be okay with it. And we've seen it kind of works. Mr. Milchik walks in, tells Mark he spoke with his Audi yesterday, and his Audi was just shattered not to be able to come into work. But now that you're here, care to read your first morning announcements as department head? Mark turns to Irving, comments that it should be easier for him to do with him, Mark, with, you know, with, as long as I'm not in the audience, this should be easier. Irvin fills Helly in. The Mark used to find it funny to interrupt Petey's announcements with gas having. Helly just never heard of that. Never heard that expressed that way before. Never once. He says things so strange, doesn't he? There's a couple episodes, a couple of instances of that in this episode where he just says, says things in a weird phrasing. And particularly with his just fascination with Egan, I almost wonder whether he has uh, restructured himself to be more cure-like. That may be... God damn, that's good. That 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 might be it. Um, He's purposely using out-of-place terminology to try to emulate, you know, old Victorian ways of speaking or thinking or talking. Here's something. If you want to fuck with somebody who is, like, new to a job, new to a thing, new to a whatever, take the Dylan handbook. Dylan just goes, why are you standing <laughs> weird? Stand normal. Perfect. There's God. no way to fix that. There's no way to respond to Wonderful that. Wonderful way to fuck with somebody. <laughs> are you standing weird? Why are you standing weird? Stand normal. What? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Helly says, are you uncomfortable? We could all look away. So they start in a little work time banter. Mark goes on. There's been some garbage in the recycling. Please, everybody, don't do that. As a reminder, post-it notes are not to be put on faces. They clog your Audi's pores. Dylan, Dylan leans over to Helly and says, that one's about me. I do this beloved character, Sticky Head. And while all this is happening, Milchick and that damn camera are going around taking excited pictures like a Taurus at the Louvre. What do you think the pictures are about? I don't know whether they're part of the experiment or if he's just individually that into this, but he is documenting every single moment that he can with... What, what era would you say that camera is? Assuming it's not some purposely... Right? Yeah, assuming it's not some like pur- purposeful throwback of the way they're all the rage nowadays. It's an old-timey camera kind of thing. Dylan says... Uh, or Mark says, please refrain from boasting about previously attained waffle parties. Dylan, I feel attacked. <laughs> that was I, I would too, yeah. Dylan. I would too. Uh, Mark then stumbles, mutters to Milchik that he's never seen a resignation request get such a quick turnaround. Ellie stands up. Oh, great. So do I have to finish out the day or do I skip out now? Milchik just looks at Mark. Lastly, Ellie's resignation request was denied. Bum, bum, bum. Ellie immediately, as you, as you described, going through the various stages of grief, she's firmly in denial at this point, rapidly transitioning to anger. Yeah, it says my Audi wouldn't do that. Mark is still trying to, like, boss her. Not, not in the, like, direct your actions, but in the I'm being a boss to you way. Um says, you know, PD used to say she runs off. Milchik picks up that phone, starts walking out of the room. So he's immediately immediately on the horn as soon as Helly has a problem. I, I like when Milchik puts on a good face of, you know, like being everybody's best friend and being one of the team, whatever else. But when everything, anything goes wrong, he goes straight professional and just leaves. It's like, I can't be around the lab mice right now. I got to report this. Because he just exits immediately stage left. Doesn't even try to go after Helly or talk to Mark. He's just gone. I'm just noticing that, like, when things are happening with Heli, he seems to be on the phone a lot. He, he's not comfortable with, with the Heli situation. This when is not... things happen with Mark or Irving or Dylan, I don't see him hopping on the phone quite as quickly. He knows them. They're his favorite little lab mice. He loves their little workplace relationships. Heli's new and unusual and disruptive, and he doesn't like it. 
Cut to Mark's sister and her awesome husband, who asked Mark's sister That's a if word. he should tiptoe up and sneak to the door. He's having fun. They go back and forth on if Mark is there or not. He gets out of the car to do it against the door to the side. She does not give a flying fuck. He asks if Mark will be surprised. He says, she says, yeah, he will. She's very unenthusiastic. He again changes changes it, walks back to the car, gets in. He's going to be so excited. I hope he comes home early. He's not going to. Question for you, Spencer, before we jump into this. Uh, why the hell is she married this guy? She seems to hate him. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it either. I don't expect we'll ever get an explanation either. These these characters are she's existing to be, you know, Mark's what? outside support network and family connections. The other guy, as we discussed, is meant to be a bit of a uh, thumbing of the nose or prop, 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 shot across the bow or, you know, parody version of, of insular liberal communities, maybe. Uh, I also, question for you. Uh, against the door or against the wall if you're leaving a package? Package that small can go up against the door. You 100%. don't you don't want a real big package going up against the door because some doors open out and then they don't they can't get literally can't get out of their house with a big door big pack. I've had UPS do this to me when I ordered furniture. They they took <laughs> they left a couch against they your took door? a big ass piece of furniture and stuck it right up next to my door and I could not get out of the front door. I had to walk around. <laughs> So what you paid for was a barricade. Yeah. That's what they gave yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you, UPS. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, always, uh, if it's small, you little the package door, against the door. I, I think this is an inexcusable decision on Rickon's part to move it away from the door to the wall. Where did this guy learn marketing and presentation, I ask you? Yeah, well, Mark's, I wonder what Mark's going to think when he gets the package. Oh, oh. I, I don't right. think he is. <laughs> they leave. Miss Selwick comes outside, walks across the property line, cut away. Katsu Petey, who was in the basement drawing something, through headaches, Miss Selwig picks up the package. Cut back to Petey. Theme music is playing now. Note this, folks. Mm-hmm. The theme music is playing. We see a door open, which is pretty terrifying, but it's just the weird flashback delusion thing that Petey is having. It's Mark, who at Lumen asked Petey, also at Lumen, if he's working on Sudoku. Are you doing Sudoku? Again, more evidence. Mark's memory split fairly recently because he knows that any knows what Sudoku is, right? So the, this was he was not cut. The memory was not cut like when he was like five, right? Sudoku is a relatively new phenomenon. Like mm-hmm. this had to be something 10 years ago, five. I, I don't know, but it wasn't a long time ago. We, we don't know, but it does seem like that he's drawing the map during that scene. So this may have been as just recently as last week in terms of when this relatively occurred in terms of things is that it looked like he's drawing the little map that he then is going to hide behind a picture later. True. What are you drawing? Uh, are you getting back to, you're getting back to work in cubist form. Okay, two things. How do you know what cubist form is? And what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> Smash Im- cut to PDs in a row. What information? Sudoku and cubist form make it into Lumen? What information do they cut? How do they cut it so precisely that that kind of otherwise workplace useless knowledge still gets in? I am starting to wonder. I keep driving at this with all these little details. I'm, I'm building up to a theory that I will now reveal to you, sir. Please. Does the damn thing cut at the at the moment they agree to severance? Like, <laughs> is it ten seconds before they agree to severance? Like, do they I mean, have it down that 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 precise? Because it seems like they hold all these memories about what the world is and all these details like- about the world. They don't know anything about themselves, but all of this detail about the world that's seemingly very rich, a very rich understanding of language and interpersonal connections and body language. I feel like it's split very, very recently. 
it's either split very recently or it's split on like very specific subjects I don't understand yet. It, it may just be split about people. That's the main thing we've seen that they don't process in there is any knowledge about people going in or going out or anything else, but respect that. Like you, you know about what states are, but you don't know anything about your own background. But you also don't know about your parents. You presumably don't know about your friends or other family, too. So the level of precision this thing is working at in terms of what goes in and what goes out is straight-up space magic, as far as I understand it, unless we get some better explanation later. Then we see Miss Selwick, who apparently has the key to Mark's house. She comes right on in. She walks around, starts down the basement. Ah, I was so excited. I really fucking wanted Petey to see Miss Selwick. Because here's my... Because as I'm watching this, I'm thinking... Petey doesn't know that their boss lives right next to Mark. Petey doesn't know this. Nope. And I want him to see it. And he does, but I don't know if he gets it. I don't know if he's in a lucid enough state to understand the information he's receiving. Yeah, she uh, actually goes into one of his boxes, and I believe it's the box of his ex-wife's, uh, dead wife's stuff. Yes! Yes, it is! She specifically goes to that box. Girl's been in that box before. That much she hones in on that box. She takes a candle. She takes a candle and pockets it. She takes the candle with her. Again, I, I'm getting more evidence that her thoughts on Mark are weird, dude. And she says no before she closes the box. Yes. Yeah. What does that mean? I. What's going on? I, I thought she know. hated him. I, I don't, don't think she does. Her phone rings. Yes, and we hear Milchik's voice on the other line. Miss Selwick. Well, uh, did did he tell her after the announcement? Petey sees her and is struggling with what is now, what is going on now, what is then, what is what the time is. He comes Always out, her, though. quickly walks up the stairs behind her, and then we hear just mildly aggressive. Did you give her directed praise? Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm coming. Oh God, I, I've never once in my life heard the phrase directed praise outside of a work setting. I don't think it exists outside of a work setting. No. It is not something you're just like hanging out with your friends and you're like, you know, man, Beachy's in a bad mood. Can you get, Spencer, can you give him a little directed praise? Wait, 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 wait. I, I just want to confirm for the record. You, even in that imaginary scenario, turned to me to offer directed praise. Well, I, my point was how ludicrous the whole thing was. So oh, I actually think I nailed you. it. I understand. Just making sure. Just, <laughs> come on. Even in even a hypothetical, let's have some I, grounding. I think I kind of crushed it that it would never happen. Uh, then we see <laughs> well Miss Selig get in the car. Miss Selig takes off. The music is playing again. Petey's now walking around the house. Um, he's uh, outside. Petey's walking around outside the house. So I mean, walking around the house. Um, he's outside, but he uh, sees the inside of Lumen. Uh, bad headaches. He's looking at the map and his hand's still walking around more intense. And it looks like he's on a bridge. Can we go ahead? Relatively speaking, in terms of the rest of the show with Petey, I'm assuming Petey's dead. I'm assuming that. Don't tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming at the end of this episode, Petey dies. What percent is Petey at all fully understanding his surroundings from here on out? 40%? I don't even know if it's that. I think he is just almost fully just in Lumen up until the moment that he stares at Mark, and I don't even know if he's recognizing Mark from then, them now or whatever. My prediction... Or my, my, my theory here mm-hmm. is that they have to do, in order to reintegrate, they have to go in to get that device somehow. It can't just stay there. And that is probably done in a really clumsy back alley way, right? Like, because it's not, they can't go into doctor's offices to do it. It's somebody in the back street doing it. I think he's suffering a series of strokes. I... I am with you on the series of strokes. I think there's a ton th- that he has a lot of blood clots in his brain that are just jolling around like just uh, jelly beans in a jar. 
I, I, my thought, at least from this point, is that they could. I don't think they tried to remove it. Cause I, I, and the show's already been kind of flexible on the subject of what degree you would recognize that your skull's been torn open or not. I think they literally just kind of turned it off remotely, and that doesn't work. And that's causing kind of ongoing problems with respect to his brain, because that thing's wired and integrated everywhere, and just turning it off is nowhere near enough, even assuming it is fully off. That could be, right? So that that's the, so the, my, my idea is like the more biological approach to trying to sure. reintegrate. Yours is more like a, a mechanical, technological, but either way, uh, brain scrambled. Not, not we, working. We cut back to uh, Lumen. Hey, Helly, this is Mark. She says, go away. I'm fine. Mark says it's been about 45 minutes. She says she's using the bathroom. No, says, no, okay, one, no one no one, at work who's been in the bathroom for 45 minutes straight is okay. Something's going on. He says, I think I need to come in. This is the woman's bathroom. He says, she's okay. I'm not going to. Uh, just get ready. All right, just do what, do what you need to do, okay? Because I'm coming in, I'm coming in. She says, no, Mark, no, 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 I'm not decent. I'm not decent right before he walks in. She's certainly decent. <laughs> well, she tries to hide her arm, uh, but he sees it. And she's written messages on both of her arms such that when you put your arms together in front of the mirror, you will read them, right? Hey, she's working on the information that she has. Right now, all she knows is she can't bring a note. So this isn't a note. It's on me, and it doesn't form words unless I do things with it. Maybe that would work fine. I'm not convinced it wouldn't, honestly, because I don't, I don't think any of these guys fully understand how this quote-unquote scanner works. Yeah. He tells her the detec- detectors. We'll he tells her the detectors can pick up lettering anywhere. She says, "Does this look like lettering to you?" And he says, "Huh, not bad." Mark says, "He thought she was beginning to be okay here." She goes, "What? Because I did the numbers thing." Well, you gotta win. Some people find joy in that. She reminds him. It was finding scary numbers. This is an answer that Spencer wanted. He says, uh, that's just one subset of numbers. The others are more comforting. And again, it gets cut off. Damn it. Don't. Just, Helly, I know, I know you've got things you got to say. I know you got to post Mark's eye right now. Can I find out what the other emotions are with the numbers? I need to know. Spencer's been the on numbers, a multi-episode quest. Damn it. Then again, it gets cut off. She says, Mark, I don't want to work here with you. So don't burst in the bathroom with your pathetic boss voice on and try to convince me that I do. Now, a couple Ow. things I think are going on here. Ow. I think a couple things are going on here. One is she desperately does not want to be enslaved in this situation anymore. Desperately. Does not. I also think, though, that she likes Mark and she's trying to push him away. This is an, unna- this is an unnaturally caustic and direct hit on Mark. You don't punch people this hard unless you like them. This if she was not if this was Irving, she would not have been this like over the top aggressive and mean, right? Because she likes Mark, right? And so that's what that's why this was overly mean. I think I think that still forces through later with some of their conversations, but I do think it's a this is one of a couple moments that leads Mark to not take a bullet for in this episode. Not that I know that not that I know that he could. Right, but he's, he didn't even try, right? Mark so it seems to get irritated. He said, give her five minutes to scrub her, scrub her arms or what. Mark just looks at her. Do you want Grainer to use the bad soap? What is this place? <laughs> it's been so, the they bad have soap. bad soap? What? Yeah. Do, are they just got a barrel of lye? Do they have that, you know, that pumice rock just that sits in bathrooms and everyone's afraid to touch? What? What is the bad soap? They do so. They, they there's so many casually terrifying references in this show. Uh, 
Do you want Grainer to use the bad soap? What? That must be the most efficient use of just terror ever assigned to soap before. Like, outside of, you know, like, Fight Club. I've never had soap be so intimidating. He bangs the faucet and looks at her. Thanks, boss. I fucking love working here. She screams, you know, sort of sarcastically as he walks out. Not sort of. Very sarcastically. He -hmm. walks out and Irv approaches him. Says he was listening. Heard everything. And he's troubled by Mark having high-stress exchanges like... Like this, so fresh off your food poisoning. Oh, Mark says it's fine. Care. Uh, the loathing with which she spoke to you. All right, question for you. You're the manager in this situation. Yes. Are you cool with Irving listening in on that conversation? No. Nope. 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 I'm not cool with it. I'm also not cool with him essentially trying to say that I'm fucking up in terms of how I'm handling this either right now. Yeah. They agree that acclimating like, takes time uh, and guidance. Irving does that kind of semi-subtle thing of where he looks like he's concerned, he looks like he's just offering to support you, but what he's effectively doing is, is, is expressing how little he's, little he's trusts and supports your authority. Let me tell you what Irving is. Irving is little old Southern Baptist lady. <laughs> bless your heart. He is bless your heart. He is that type of condescending where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, honey, I made you this big tray of food because i you know i just know you're not getting good food at home with that you know that lovely <laughs> wife you have you oh. know shit like that where it's like oh, the, everything's yeah. backhanded everything mm-hmm. that uh. is very well said for how irving operates i also think irving may protest too much on the subject last episode of whether he wants to be the boss i think he wants mark's job and is offended he didn't get it yeah uh they agree that acclimating takes time and guidance mark asked irving straight up what is on his mind Dilling was going on all yesterday about incentives, pencil races, waffle parties, as if that's why we're here. That is not why we are here, Irving says. If she's craving a deeper meaning, she should see the perpetuity wing. Mark says she could read about it in the handbook. You know it's different to be there, to see it. Mark says it's a lot. Correct? That place is everything. Should we be led to believe that only Irving gets the intended emotional response from the perpetuity wing? Because Dylan definitely don't. Helly yes. definitely don't. Mark's at least trying to be polite, but it no. seems like he's as put off and confused by the place as they are. I don't, I think that it, it's been for some time, Irvin has been the only one. Because they've created this bingo game that the other three have always played. And I can imagine PD played yes. it too. Um, behind his back. So yes, I think Irvin's the only person who gets the response that they are clearly wanting to solicit from employees by building the goddamn thing to begin with. From their perspective, Irving is the most ideal employee they can imagine. Then why isn't he boss? Experiment, sir. Experiment. Cut to Miss Sellers. Why why did Mark get the one little specialty gift? Why did Mark get straight promoted to be in charge? Experiment. Cut to Miss Selwig or Miss Coble. At this point, I'm honestly not sure. Coming Uh in, um, because she's coming in from the outside to work, and Milchik asks how the... How the check went. She explains there was a package left at his door. Open it, would you? He does. And it's the... Check out the title of this book. The You You Are. This is what I thought this would be. I didn't I, I didn't put words to a page and what... What's his name? Rickon? Something like Rickon, right? Rickon. Zigzag. Rickon. What he would create. What his book would be. But yes, this is exactly that book. He's... Fifth one! What a world! The You, You Are, his fifth book. It doesn't look self-published either. Yeah, and it it seems that Milchik may have gotten other books of his in the past. Um, Because he seems to know immediately who it is. He calls out that it's his fifth book. Opens it right up and starts reading in a sort of 
joking manner. Chapter 12, learning to be emotionally nude in front of my wife. Emotionally I understand the nude. sentiment. I understand the sentiment. It's invaluable sentiment. Do you have to put it that way? Yes, he has to put it that way. Sorry, he, he answered does. my own question. He has he to does. put it exactly that way. She tells him to check it for messages just to be safe as she changes behind her frosted glass. Mark walks in and Milchik puts the book down, face down, on the desk. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he puts it face down? Just under the off chance that some degree of outside information might be conveyed in. I think that Milchik putting it face down and the conversation that Miss Coble has later with the board is some evidence that maybe these two people who have to work in it every day, who see it every day, have some doubts about the efficacy of the severance procedure. 100%. They're not taking any chances because they're actually in the trenches and they're seeing and the they're seeing cracks it. along the margins. Exactly. Mark asked Milchik if Miss Coble has a moment. Did you fill out an official request for supervisory interaction? Uh, I gotta no, say, I... I don't require these. I do not require these. Uh, oh, 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 you don't? No. I know people that can confirm this, sir. <laughs> I don't require the, the request for supervisory interaction. Spencer, do you have to fill that out? Uh, you, you have well, to fill uh, out a request for supervisory interaction? I don't let people interact with me, period. They can aspire to that, but they're never going to get to me. Yeah, you you probably have like your own like speak to Spencer's like authorization for it. It has nothing to do with the reporting uh, structure. It's I, just I, you're, I, you're just sort of curmudgeon attitude. I, I do a Parks and Rec, and I schedule everybody for a day I don't think exists, but to my utter horror later on does. It's such a such a crazy idea. You fill out a request for you. Anyway, Mark says, uh, no. Miss Coble says, it's fine. He could come in. Mark says, I could, you know, I could fill out the form. She says, Mark, what is it? And uh, tells Mark to close the door. Mark says, Irving said they should take Ellie to the perpetuity wing. She says, well, it's a good thing I made Irving department chief. Again, I'm getting hit coming both ways with this lady because that is such an asshole thing to say. And it, she keeps finding other ones before this conversation's over. I think it's a role. I think she's putting on a role of the mean boss here. Maybe she's even overcompensating for it to hide how she actually feels. There's a zero. There's a zero. Maybe. In your mind, there's a zero percent chance she's severed? Yeah. Zero percent is the one I'm going with. Because she does seem to treat Mark differently at work and at home. She does, but she's able to convey memories back and forth and Milchik freaking calls her. Okay. Um, Mark says it's been weird since Petey left. No, she says it's a good thing I I, uh, I made him the department chief. Mark says I think I should take Kelly to the team and the uh, team to the perpetuity wing. Right. So he says I, I should do this. Have you filled out a common space reservation slip? All right. Now here's the thing on this one. Now you've done those. I know you've done those. Every time somebody wants to go to an ice cream party, they have to fill out one of those slips. Well, Avi, Avi. Uh, here's the thing. The first one is pompous and ridiculous the second one might have that might be matter of fact i think we see a situation later about why this slip is so important they don't want people meeting each other they don't want people interacting right this one this one i can understand within the context of lubin the first one you just seem like a prick uh mark says no and she just says "Uh, no like she's disappointed in him mark says it's been weird since pd left he set the tone she says, if Petey with a tone setter, you're lionizing him as, he'd still be here. He goes, what does that mean? <laughs> what? To which she responds in a way I never would have expected her to respond, nor any other rational person. 
Are you gonna make me throw my mug at you? Huh? Throws mug. Chucks it! Straight chucks it in his head! Yep, she does it. Just throws it at him. Is that in the manual somewhere? It's confusing. Um, she just says, get MDR to its numbers. And he says, okay. So she actually seems, at least in this conversation with Mark, to care that they hit their numbers. Spencer, do you think the MDR hitting their numbers really matters? From a purely experimental standpoint, where it's necessary for the experiment to be declared a success. It's like, you know, they're running the test at Chernobyl. They need the percentages to be something. They need the, Otherwise, the test is unsuccessful and we'll have to redo it later. Okay. Mark? What I just did was something I knew you could handle and grow from. It was very painful for me. I hope that you'll let it help you. I believe you. 100%. Could, no doubt in my heart. Now, Spencer, we've done this before on the podcast, and we're going to do it again right now. We're going to take just a second for us. Yes. We often do these podcasts. We're trying to make this entertaining for our audience. Everybody, give us 10 seconds. It's just me and Spencer time. Spencer, yeah. we got we got a friend who says shit like this, right? We have a we have a friend that one hundred percent says this kind of shit. I did this because I knew you could handle it and grow from it. We have a friend that repeats that almost verbatim and appears to really mean it. Oh man, and, and straight straight face. I knew you could straight grow face. From that. I knew like, you could grow from no, that. No, not not a straight face. Condescending face. The, All right, the face of supreme knowledge. <laughs> Back to podcast professionals. Mark asks, open or closed? Both. What, what what would you do if someone told you that? Close it. I'd close it and reopen it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would just get I'd just get annoyed and close it. <laughs> um, Dylan back at the cubicle says my delts are embarrassingly good today. My Audi does muscle shows for sure. These guys don't have much to talk about, and this is what they have to talk about today: various muscle <laughs> groups and what degree their Audi works on them. Yeah, and what like- degree society values them. I like that Dylan really has created, like, he's hyped. He's the hype man for his Audi. Yeah. Lives Uh, on a riverboat, has delts for days, maybe even professionally (laughs) lifts weights. (laughs) Irving, if your Audi did muscle shows, you wouldn't have to work here. Dylan points out they don't know how much muscle shows pay, but they do know what muscle shows are, I'd like to point out. Mm Mm-hmm. But they don't know how much it pays. What information gets in and what information doesn't? I don't know. It's a bit confusing. And Irv posits it's a tiered system. Perhaps there are different monetary prizes for gold, silver, bronze. Dylan says, no, 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 no. My guess is they do a piece bill per muscle. Irv, no, 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 I don't think so. Irv says, um, lats probably carry a high value. They're considered very attractive in muscle building circles and society in general. How does he know this? I think he's bluffing. I think he, I, I don't think he actually knows this. I think they're just spitballing to a certain degree here. And this is, this is one thing he's just straight making up. Dylan says, lats are bullshit. Irving points out his good posture in the background as Helly takes a note that she's written on, uh, goes into the break room, puts it in her mouth to swallow it. Put, puts it into a pen cap, which is clever, and also pulls off the little extra bit of the pen so it doesn't get caught on something. Right, so that it won't, uh, so it won't decompose in her stomach. That, That's smart. That'd, that'd be some fun diverticulitis from having a pen stuck in your gut. Whew. But Mark comes up behind her, tells her that in case this is interesting news... Or in case it's interesting information for her, the code detectors can read messages inside the body as well. Spencer, do we believe this? I don't believe any of this. I literally believe the only reason they caught her last time is because Milchik saw it and informed Grainer. And then Grainer pressed a button that went wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I don't think, I think they're entirely full of shit. Okay. Then he points I mean, out. 
We've seen their level of security is actually almost entirely on the trust system with respect to the Audi. I don't, I don't, I don't, I see the same principles applying elsewhere. Petey's just on the lam. They don't know where he is. He's just gone. I, I'm not convinced of the competence or security apparatus of this company. He then points out that when that happens, it's Milchik's job to extract the message from you. And when he asks how long ago you ingested it, I really can't recommend honesty enough. It's easier for you both when he knows which end to start from. I think Mark is making this part up. I think Mark is very much making this part up. I don't think Mark's ever actually seen this. I don't think anyone's has been as resistant as Haley has been. No, no. I think I think that she is breaking the mold for sure. Um, he puts She's his hand trying out. to scare. She puts the paper into it, and he says, "Another good try, though." He says, "Go shut down your workstation. We're taking a trip. Fun, boss." boss move Mark's going to be the fun boss today then we see our group on a field trip Irvin is just vacations at work are the worst just I'm going to hammer that home for people that have billable hour requirements vacations at work are the worst what if you well I was going to say what if you never get to leave but then I get more hours in but but, you know you you, yeah that's kind of (laughs) That's kind of the same for you. You do never leave. But I was just going to say, like, if you never get to leave, I would think this is actually kind of fun. See, for the people who don't have this billable hour nonsense that you lawyers do. Salary, nine to five, field trips or breaks are the best. Then if I can, well, they're they're the best within the context of workload. Because if, if the workload continues to pile up during that break... And even the even the salary people don't like the break. But if you can actually make the work stop for an hour, oh well, everybody's cheering now. But for them, I don't I don't feel like the work piles up because they talked about how if they don't finish a particular set of numbers, it just goes away. Yeah, and they get a new one. So I I don't I I think this is like they can actually enjoy the field trip. And as much like as a only- fucking enslaved person at this fucking company can do. It seems like the only person who cares about the numbers are the board, maybe, and Mrs. Coble. That's it. Yeah. The employees don't really give that much of a shit other than the incentives. Urban's just chattery. We all hate CEOs have been that eager lineage going back to the founder. He has a mnemonic poem to help you remember their names. He says uh, he authored it himself, and it falls outside corporate canon, and it's poetically imperfect, to be sure. There's a slant rhyme in the second verse of Ambrose to Banos, which was necessary to further the narrative, but regrettable. Ambrose is sometimes unfairly maligned as a black sheep in the annals of the family. So this guy is just studying the Egan family. It's like you feel like his Audi probably lives in a house of books he seems like a voracious reader like a guy who just ingests oh, information but this is the only information available to him so this is what he's taking in very much so that i'm also believing in terms of my head canon that his his poem used to be canon but then the company issued a new directive that rendered all of that old canon as legacy and now they've got a new canon that they're going forward with Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then, but they probably reintroduced some of that old into the new there's, in really inconsistent ways. Added. Yes, Le- leaving out leaving out favorite characters and taking little parts. Like you know, Ambrose now comes in, but now it's through four different characters that take little parts of. It. And if that all sounds appealing to you, you can listen to our coverage over on Bangham Talk Star Wars. <laughs> As they walk, Irving is in front, and Helly, Dylan, and Mark are in the back. Dylan hands Helly a piece of paper, which she unfolds. It's Egan Bingo. And Dylan hands one to Mark, and Mark is a little hesitant. Dylan explains this is how you don't die of boredom in the perpetuity wing. He also pitches that it will be an excellent opportunity for everyone except Irv to bond. Mark doesn't respond. Irv then comes up 
Pun Burke, the optics and design team. Oh, indeed. In the house, Mark says optics and design. Burke says macro data refinement. Irv greets Burke. I trust that your session was good. Good, very restorative. So here we go. Square off. Okay, at the, just like at the fucking okay corral here. I was not expecting this much of a square off, given otherwise how comfortable Irving and Bert were meeting each other. There didn't seem to be any issues between the two of them, but not just Dylan, who exists on a conspiracy theories, is put off here. Mark seems really friggin' uncomfortable. It seems to me that you have four completely different interactions for running upon OND. You've got. 100%. Man, I'm really excited to see these guys, Irv. You've got, fuck these guys, I will destroy them, Dylan. You've got. We really shouldn't be running into these people. I'm going to get in trouble for this, Mark. And then you have, who are these? Heli. You've got Heli of, why is everyone reacting like this? Yeah. Mark questions if Irv and Bert know each other. Irv downplays it, says they just admired some Newman artwork one time. Bert then comes in with the reminder, you know we'll have those new handbag totes too. Uh, Irvin says, so exciting, so exciting for some handbook totes. Dylan says this with, I- I'm going to say this. Dylan says this with his chest. Says it with his chest. Yeah. Thanks for the tip. You got some business or are you just out for a fucking stroll? Let's go. Dylan is he's a gonna put them fucking throwing down. He's going to put them fucking delts into work today. If Mark or, or Irving hadn't been there, would Dylan have just straight attacked them? Maybe. Would he? I, I, I don't know if Christopher Walken <laughs> would have walked out of this scene if Dylan had his way. Mark tries to calm Dylan down. Dylan says, what? I think you guys are cool. And I'm just wondering what you're up to. It's rare seeing you out of your hole. Bert's assistant. Oh, I'm pretty sure we're we're getting told that O&D is the ones that never leave. You think so? They're the only other department that we've met. They're in the hole. No one trusts them. O&D. I'm going to say this. When a show does a thing where it's like, we reference, oh, there's another department that does blah, 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 blah. And then that ends up being the only other department you meet on screen. Shut off, Scott. I always feel like it's lazy. And I I just hope this show is smarter than that. I just hope it's not I... the one other the one other group, right? Like, I, I just, I want it to be more complicated than that. I, I, you're probably right, but that I just want it to be more and deeper and... I truly admire your optimism, sir. I am jaded at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I will see. Burr's assistant, who doesn't seem to like Dylan very much, explains that it's the egg drop challenge in the team building space. Tight department like us is to keep our synergy up. Dylan doesn't buy this fucking shit. Not one single bit. Question. Where do they uh, get the eggs? Yeah, you. Where, where, where do they get the eggs and the apparatus <laughs> and the tools and other things to make an egg drop challenge? Clearly, Mr. Milchick brought it into them. Mr. Milchick runs all the department. I actually, I believe that either it's their Mr. Milchick or just our Mr. Milchick also does the same thing for everybody. Yeah, I think everybody either has. I think it's either Milchick or a similar Milchick role that does the oversight and the connection between the Indianalis. Because they're well, you're 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 positing that the O and O and D doesn't have Audis, but let's say they did. Mm-hmm. They would need someone to call if they were like out of. Yeah, out of, could, could, you know, want to go on a vacation, out of work, sick, I mean, whatever, you know. So there's got to be somebody connecting the two. Um, but your 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 prediction is O and D never leaves. They're the one chained up on inside, like Petey said. Mm-hmm. Um, the assistant Felicia asks what they are doing. Bert tells her she shouldn't have asked that. You notice that Bert's like, oh my 
can't believe almost like that's an aggressive question. Mark mm-hmm. tells them straight up that it's the perpetuity wing visit and that this is Heli, our new refiner. Hey Spencer, just struck me. Maybe this is the type of situation that that they're in wherein a common space reservation slip requirement would be important to ensure that this type of happening does not occur. If this is the level of typical interaction that occurs between departments, departments that they don't even know in terms of the number of how many might exist down there, they're just spitballing. Yeah, they need to... I don't think they've got enough oversight, which is a weird statement in terms of how these guys interact. Unless, again, the tension is all part of the goal. Strangely enough, they might not have enough oversight. It, 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 weirdly Dude, yeah I felt yeah. dirty saying that but I'm not impressed yeah. Ellie says uh, Ellie just nods Bert says they should get back can't leave the nest empty and he winks at Irv did you catch the wink he does look at them being the best of flirty buddies Dylan those eggs look like shit Felicia goes inside <laughs> eye Dylan makes an art out of very much concentrating his, tar- his attacks we, we see Miss Coble walk in a room. I believe this is her waiting room. She says, Seth. She walks in, and Mr. Milchick is with a younger woman with a headset microphone on. Harmony. Who is, Hello. Who, who, who is... Uh, it's Natalie. And it's... Uh, yeah, who says Harmony. We have another name now for Mrs. Coble. This is the same woman, woman from the, uh, inter, the interview we saw on television, right? I think so. Uh, this is the, one of the moments of where I, her level of humanity... I think she's literally human. But... Her interactions with Harmony here are very unsettling. Yeah, he, she does seem a tad robotic. Um, he said, I wasn't expecting this. Is this about Helena? Who's that? Who's that? Heli. Oh, okay. Didn't put that two and two together. I, I, think, it's Heli's, I think it's Heli's full name is my guess. Fair. Um, no, this uh, is about Peter she, Kilmer. It's interesting that she has reported Heli up the chain of command. Yeah. That is a good point. Yeah. Um, so no, this is about Peter Kilmer, and I should be telling you the board was joining us. Both Koble and Melchick look very serious about that. Miss Koble sits down, and we just hear a little bit of static, maybe some breathing. And the younger lady says, "The board with Natalie says the board would like you to speak first. Spencer, is there anybody on the other side? It's the exact same interaction that we had from Koble and Mark that we now have with Harmony and Natalie in the board. Board's not there. It's just a prop." Don't believe I don't I don't believe they're on the other side whatsoever. Okay. Catalog that. Oh yeah, of course. Salutations, she says. So the search for Kilmer continues. I will say this, not to be alarmist, but prior to his departure. So Kilmer, I think, is Petey. So the search yeah, for yeah, Kilmer 100%. continues. P- I will Peter say Peter Kilmer, yeah. Yeah. Now, not to be alarmist, but prior to his departure, they were some troubling signs of reintegration. Now, here's some evidence there may be somebody on the other end of the line to some degree. So we do hear something going on in her earpiece. Uh, we do. Natalie's earpiece right here. So that is some evidence that somebody's listening and reporting in to some degree. We do. Um, and she says, okay, so the board is conveying pretty strongly that the severance procedure is provenly irreversible and this knowledge should be a given for someone managing a severed floor. Which... Kobol rapidly tries to cover for it because she can see that this has stirred the hive quite a bit to even suggest this. Well, she knows that she's not supposed to suggest this type of thing, but she does so anyway. She's trying to do the job. I think she, I think that she, I think it would seem to me that she knows that mentioning that this, 
any detail that the severance procedure isn't absolute would infuriate them, right? Right. And so in order to do it... She's suggesting their flagship product is flawed. So in order to do do it, to broach the subject, I think she's got to be pretty sure in her own mind. So I think that Ms. Coble is almost 100% sure that reintegration can happen, is happening, did happen with Petey. I also think with how closely Mr. Milchick watches them, that even if she didn't see it, he's advised her the fact that this isn't the this isn't the PD I've gotten so close to in terms of my observations. Now, what's strange is that Natalie then pushes the numbers. She says, you got to get MDR to the projected numbers by the quarterly deadline in three weeks. I'll tell you this. When I first saw what the numbers were, mm-hmm. I thought that was such bullshit that the fact there's even a reference to it, a focus on it between these people that are anywhere near MDR, the actual staff, is confusing the fuck out of me. I'm still convinced the numbers are just a widget. They're not meant to have any value. They don't actually do anything. They're just a measuring of this experiment. That's I'm, st- I'm sticking to this theory, man. She says, yes, yes, of course. They are likely rekindling our yield down here with nimble new refiner. And for what it's worth, I'd like the board has concluded the call. That you and I may ask goodbye, Harmony. Woof. And this, again, the the weird wavering I'm trying to be human and then have an interaction with you smile that Natalie puts on throughout all this conversation. Well done by the actress. It's off-putting. Do you think she's a robot? What? No, 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 no. How about this? Percent chance she's a robot. Percent chance she's a robot under 15. Okay, under 15. I, I, let's, put, let's peg it at 9. Sure. Nine percent chance she's a robot. Good odd number. I'm more convinced that the levels of experiment go all the way up and all the way down. Because this is straight up in parallel to, or in repeat, of the interaction she had with Mark. The board there and anything else. Everybody's getting reviewed. Everybody's getting examined. The experiment, the testing, the analysis, the levels of management go on forever. Which opens up the possibility that she's also a rat in the maze. Maybe she's some category of severed. I don't know. But I was not expecting this level of how low in the totem pole she is. So I agree with you. Uh, It seemed to me that she is being experimented on too. Yes. But why? Like, that's this is what opens up to me. It's like, what is the fucking point of all of this? Again... The only way I can justify any and all of this is that this is all a test program to make this larger scale. And she's as much part of that as anything else, because she's the one that's running the floor. So she needs to be analyzed and examined at all opportunities, too. Come back to the group. Ellie is asking about there being a two-person group. She asks if they only ever see each other. Irv says, for the most part, it's lonely, I suspect. I'll bet you this. I'll bet you Irv suggesting that O&D is lonely was some measure of breaking protocol. 100%. 100%. That's not a thought you should be having. Now, no. All the departments are beloved by Kier. Dylan says, and unnatural, perverse. <laughs> he thinks their, their department is unnatural, perverse. How many times does the word perverse get thrown around on this show? It seems a like lot. the favored way anybody has to describe something that they don't like or is going off script. It's perverse. Mark says, O and D's, they're nice. They're nice. I think they're nice. Dylan, again with his chest, no, they're not. Nor do they share our values. Kier sorted the departments by virtue. Macrodats are clever and true, while OD's more cruelty centered. Is that part of the book? Is he just making yeah. that up or not? No, no, no. I, that, that was too. 
That was too he precise. Doesn't speak, he doesn't speak this way, right? Kier sorted the departments by virtue. He wouldn't make up that word, by virtue. I agree that it seemed too away off from his usual terminology to otherwise fit into his fantasies. This seemed like, oh God, is this part of like, you know, the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King appendices that happened at the end of the book? It's now, let me turn to now the virtues of each department. Look at you. Just How casually you slide in that you've read the appendices of Lord of the Rings. You know they're that there. Was, that was wonderful. Uh, man, what a humble break. <laughs> Helly asks how many departments there are. Dylan says 30, Mark says five at the same time. Uh, this would be like if no you asked, knows. I mean, this would be like if you asked um, uh, your, let's say your other, your two other best friends who are Lord of the Rings fans, how many appendices are in Lord of the Rings? We would give a similar answer to this. <laughs> 30, what, what, five, eight, nine. I don't know. <laughs> what this number tells me is that they've met five and Dylan's gone from there. Irv says, no one's quite sure. Odie tried a violent coup on the others decades ago, and that's why they reduced them down to two. And that's that one's not in the appendices. Apart now. Okay, that, what? Hold on. What? Now we're back into Dylan's own filling in the blacks. Odie tried a violent coup on the others decades ago. <laughs> what? <laughs> please, Whoa. please, please let Dylan write the mythos of this show. Just do a book from his perspective about what's actually going on down there. I'd buy it. I was going this way. Please, please, please be fucking true. Oh, no. Please. It's, it's not. Please. It's not. I hope this is true. Heli asked, did they ever kill God. anyone? Mark, no. There was no coup. No one killed anyone. Heli says, well, why don't we hang out? Mark, I mean, I'm 99% sure there's no coup. <laughs> we just discussed this, Mark. 91% sure. Leave that 9% available. Okay. Now we're going to pause here and oh God. ask all the shippers to come into the podcast for a few minutes while yep, while we yep, ship these yep, two. Yep. Please, Hilly, everyone, gather around. We gather, have around the, gather around the campfire. Helly says she's imagining them rounding a corner and they're all blood-soaked and I'm wearing your face. And they're like, whose face is that? When she says that, Irv gives her a look like, you're fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> who, who am I working what with? What is wrong with you? Mark is loving. I paused it right when she said it. Because I was writing my notes. And Irv gives, is giving her a look like startled. And Mark is grinning and smiling in the background. He's enjoying yes, he this, is. right? And, and, and continues to do so when she clarifies. And I'm like, the last person who fucked with us. And that's just like feeling like a really powerful image to me. Mark thinks through that. Says, well, they're probably going to recognize the face. Maybe if you wear it inside out, Heli just smiles back at him. So there we go. A little romantic moment, I think. A little, little fun banter that goes beyond regular, regular co-worker. 100% it was cute. The fact that they shared a little smile indicates that the prior hostility was some degree of an act, or even if it wasn't an act, that they still have a certain degree of repartee with each other regardless of her regardless of her efforts to distance herself from him earlier. It was an act. She likes him. She was trying to... He likes her. She was trying to put gum in the hair of the boy uh, that she doesn't want to get too close to her because she's feeling weird feelings. That's uh, what it is. Helen is going to have a baby later on behalf of Helly. Oh, man. Wouldn't that be something? They keep walking up to a door. Perpetuity Center is on the wall next to it. They walk in. The first thing we see is a model of a man, gray hair. And we hear this from our guy, Irving. Come now, children of my industry, and know the children of my blood. And know no, the children no, of my blood. Nope. 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 I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Thank you. Bye. 
No, the children of my blood. What does that mean? I was happy to play Bioshock. I don't need to leave it. I'm good. I'm gone. Whew. Blood of my blood. She says, that's James Egan, current CEO. Remarkable man. Dylan says he's handsome, too. You see those brows? She looks at it and lingers a little bit. Do you notice she lingered while looking at it? But yeah. The, everything else she's mocking a little bit. This one, there's some focus. Why do, why do you, yeah, I guess maybe we could, we could, we could put that question out why she would pause and look at him um written on the wall perhaps because she's actually met him and the severance procedure isn't perfect written on the wall history lives in us whether we learn it or not james egan then we see down some stairs five more model people Irvin explains all the center displays are for a past egan ceo but the whole back part is here and they keep walking down the stairs he says at one point there's been eight ceos right is that what he said yes okay so there are presumably eight statues here to some degree or in some shape or form. We so, have heard before the name James Egan. So, yeah, we, we, he, is, he is a known entity to us. You think she lingered because she could have met him? Why would, why would someone who is going to take an entry-level severance job have met the CEO of the company? I can only speculate, sir. Well, I can I'm only speculate. Maybe she's family. Doesn't seem realistic. Um, some interesting piano playing, kind of chaotic. And we cut to Petey, who is walking around. I know that death is near upon me because people have begun to ask what I see as my life's great achievement. They wish to know how they should remember me as I write, as I rot. In my life, I have identified four components, which I call tempers, form, of which are deceived every human soul. Woe, frolic, dread, malice. So this is just like this fucking blah, 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 blah going on. And, and, and this is the founder. This is Kier. This, this is, is Kier the dude Egan. who was from this dude from the 1800s. He was born in 1841. At 24, he became the CEO of the company, and he was the CEO of the company for 74 years. That seems unrealistic for the era. That yeah. seems almost like you know 40 days. And he lived to be 98. That, that that's like Noah living a thousand years kind of shit in my mind. That doesn't seem realistic, and I think it's almost purposeful. Oh yes, he lived forever because he was the founder. Each man's character. This is so. Then we, as we continue, we see the plaque: CEO, sixteen eighty-five to nineteen thirty-nine; Kier Egan, eighteen forty-one to nineteen thirty-nine. Each man's character is defined by the precise ratio that resides in him. I walked into the cave of my own mind, and there I tamed them. Should you tame the tempers as I did mine, then the world shall become but your appendage. It is this great and consecrated power that I hope to pass on to all of you, my children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything's family. Everything's children. Everything is fucking cult. CEO, 1941 to 1959. Myrtle Egan, 1886 to 1960. So Myrtle Egan became the CEO when she was 41 plus 14, 55, and she stepped down a year before she died. Mm-hmm. We hear a woman's voice. I think that to be an Egan, either a true Egan or anyone working in this Lumen family, what you are is the keeper of an ethos, a compact of values that we have long held as precious and which I do believe will one day save this world. One day save this world. And that ethos goes all the way back through my blood to where we all started at Kier when I was a girl. My father would make me, until I fall asleep, hushed when I whisper, vision verse which cheer, minus probes 
probity wiles. So, I, so these I, are just the words that you're catching in the background as the scene continues to unfold in the front. Are, are these like the uh, Lumen values that we had referenced at last episode or whatever else it was, where we had Irv say that his favorite one was cheer? Vision versus cheer. Probity wiles. Nimbleness. Uh, and wit. I think wit, wit is in there too. Yeah. Maybe that's the one. Maybe maybe we got them there. Um, while this I, is going it, on. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know. But the fact that they specifically name dropped cheer seems notable. While this is going on, she uh, gets one on her bingo card. Lumen will save the world. Earth walks up and says, it's okay if you cry. It's interesting to see that all these people are very convinced of their own divinity, basically. That, that seems to be the undercurrent behind all of this. Is that these guys are very certain their shit don't stick. Oh, for sure, yeah. He explains she was five CEOs ago. So she stopped in 1959, and that was five CEOs ago. So I'm trying to figure out, that probably does place us at right about, what, 2050? 2060? 100%. I also want to emphasize that maybe that also suggests that something like how, whatever date it is, a significant number of CEOs covered the same period as the first CEO in terms of total amount of time spent in office. So we've yep. only had eight, right? Well, it depends on what what the current year is. We don't know. But presumably a little bit in the future, but I don't know that. The technology is so jumbled. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I, I would guess that it's somewhere around 20... 50 to 2070 based on the the fact that was five ceos ago because it does seems like the ceos do serve for a while Mm -hmm. um he tells this story about how um when she was a kid she told her father at age seven she was going to be the first female ceo lumen isn't that lovely it's that's probably a bullshit story but uh helene Mm -hmm. responds it's beautiful it almost enough to make me wish i remembered my own childhood bark looks alarmed at this because she's not supposed to say something like this Irv says this, and he pulls her aside. It's an unnatural state for a person to have no history. History makes us someone, gives us context to shape. But waking up on that table, I was shapeless. But then I learned that I work for a company that has been actively caring for mankind since 1866. What does that mean? Caring for mankind. You don't, you don't understand the holy no. and sacred mission uh-uh. that this company's been engaged on from the beginning. Everything they do is for the greater service of the world. And we we are a part of that wonderful the mission f- and dream. fuck does this mean? What, Look, whatever they those... want it to mean. Irv does not have details. He's just convinced He's convinced the undercurrent is true. Yeah, he has drank the Kool-Aid for sure. Uh, he, he brings her into the smile room. Um, where he says that, look at all these smiles. Every one of those is someone Lumen Industries has helped. That's all he says, has helped. And I, they rotate these through the true number of smiles. May well be in the millions. Are, are we a dental company? No, no, no. My point my point is uh, you're a part of history now. Mark even tries. He's trying here. A, a, a noble says, one. A noble one. Dylan asked if they updated the mouth wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's not called the mouth wall. Damn, they took down the chick I like. Dylan asks them if they are ready to go. Irv snaps. We just got her. She hasn't seen, even seen. She hasn't even seen the cure part yet. I will Irv say. And off they go. They should open with the cure part. They should. The cure part should be the first part they go into because the cure part, kind of damn impressive. Well, it's impressive because it's a house in a office building underground. Not, yeah, it, it's not impressive because it makes you like the company. Um, I think they're trying to 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 do the. 
deity angle with the CEOs. That's why you always yes. start there, right? You have to you have to and like what, worship them. What, and yet what they've achieved is one of those terrifying wax sculpture houses. That's all I got out of that. As they walk out, Irv points out Gerhardt, who's another CEO, I guess. Irv walks them into a new room. Jesus, Nokia. It's his house. A perfect replica. Mark says, it's pretty cool, right? It is pretty cool. They yes, put a house. Is. They put this house just in this office building. Again, they're underground. This is a big fucking room underground that they've got here. It's pretty cool. With artificial light that looks realistic, too. This looks like just it's in the middle of a field. So this tells me something. That this is not a publicly traded company. <laughs> yeah. Because this, there is just no way they could get they could use publicly traded company funding for something so fucking frivolous and not have SEC violations out the ass and lawsuits and every other they, type of thing. This is an irresponsible way to, to, to spend corporate funding. This has got to be a privately owned company. You, you need Chick, you need Chick-fil-A money and ownership to make this happen. Oh yeah, yeah. You that's a good call. Chick-fil-A probably has this. <laughs> S. Truant Kathy's house down in the fucking bottom of some weird office park in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm sure it's there. I, I, Canon. We're making this Canon now. Chick-fil-A has a lumen facility. Chick-fil-A has a pure house. <laughs> Ellie goes along but doesn't seem enthusiastic. As they walk into the house, it's just to built in the middle of this office building. They look around. They see a pair of what looks like women's shoes. We see a name tag that says, do not lie on Keir Egan's bed. <laughs> the bedroom of be Keir. The bedroom of Keir. Just as he might have left it. They walk around, and it, it strangely looks like just a normal house. Actually, kind of a nice one. Dylan says it smells 19th century ass. Stop treating this like some kind of beer party. So that, there's another example, right? Of a that's weird not fair. Phrase. That's not fair. Up until now, I've been reverent as shit. <laughs> I've been reverent as shit. But it is another example of his weird phrasing, right? Beer party? Yes, it is. 100%. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sticking to my theory. I think he's purposely trying to, you know. Talk like them. Talk, talk like them, talk like the book I'm sure he's read 30 times, their manual, whatever else. Yep. Oh, an homage. Irv barks at Mark, where were you? Were you about the bed sit? And then ask... Uh, bed sit? Yeah, bed sit. Ask Mark what's in his pocket. Oh, God. Mark still, as he unfolds the bingo card. Mark says this for fun. He says, it's the perpetuity work. It's the Egan's. It's the living soul of Lumen and everything she stands for. Not a bingo match. I, I like that he makes Lumen a she. Yeah, that's the detail. Uh, Mark says that Kier says, keep a merry humor ever in your heart. Irv is really on a roll now. Did you give one to the trainee? Of course I did. She's starved for meaning here, so of course you pervert our founder's message with jokes and impiety. That's definitely what she needs from our department chief. Pervert again? Again, they're throwing that word around right and left. A lot, of, a lot of perverts uh, in this in this episode. A lot of perverts. Hey, Spencer, question for you. Um, mm. Whose side are you on here? Is Mark failing Helly, as Irv is indicating here? Is he a bad manager? I, even if Mark wants to tow the company line, he needs to meet Helly halfway, given how far away she is. He's got to draw her back. He's got to establish some kind of common point with her, which they have to require on some point on her terms. He can't just give her religion at this point. It's not going to work. No, it's this is very much, this really sets up for it. Look, I know you don't like, but can we at least? Yes. This is this is what, I know you don't like, but can we at least? Like, I think he needs to go that route with her. So they look over because they notice Helly is gone. Dylan, uh-oh. Mark goes running, and then we see Helly. She's running down a lumen hallway. Mark is chasing hectic music, shaky cam, more chasing. 
a little born identity here with the shaking cam. Oh, yeah. And we see Mr. Milchik reading Mark's brother. Mark's brother-in-law's book. She's saying, Jesus. She's just, this is Jesus. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm with him. She keeps running. She takes out a fire extinguisher, starts to bash in a window on an exit door. When the glass shatters, light goes out. Red light starts flashing in the hallway. Mark is still poking uh, around, looking for her. Ellie reaches her hand through with a note that says, never come back here. Spencer, tell the audience what she's doing. My guess is that she's trying to extend enough of herself through the window that her Audi is re-triggered, holding the note while she's still dangling through the window, whatever else. So it's just indisputable what, what her any wants and is trying to convey. Is that a roughly accurate read? That's how I took it. Okay. Well, well said. Uh, Mark pulls her back. Uh, Spencer, did her Audi read it? No. Not that I saw. Not that I think. Okay. We're, we're left with Mark and Helly in the hallway, and Mr. Grainer says, This way, please, L.E.R. She looks at Mark. Mark seems concerned, but guess what Mark does not do? Jump in front. He does not throw his body in front of this bullet. Which he did the other day. He, and I yep. I wonder whether she hadn't been as difficult for him or as mean to him earlier, whether he still might have been inclined to do it. But not in this moment. Or maybe uh, if he'd have let her suffer her own consequences yesterday, she'd have been less she, inclined to break the rules today. She might have learned. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you this, Mark doesn't seem happy with what's going to happen to her. He doesn't stop it, but he doesn't seem happy about it. He doesn't. I'll be curious to see how they interact tomorrow. She's walking with something on her arm for the cut, and uh, Ellie walks into the thin hallway. We see Mark enter last episode. He tells her, I hope you just settle in. I know Mark's been trying so hard to get you to feel happy. Guilt. Guilt in her. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Trying this to. Is the, they, I think Milchik has a little checklist, and he's gotten to the guilt bullet now. And it's like... Mm-hmm. Make her feel bad. Like she's, we can tell because we're scrutinizing everything that these people do that mm-hmm. she likes Mark, that she's smitten with Mark. So, so let's use Mark to guilt her into trying to control her behavior. That's what uh, I'm, that's ab- what I'm reading here. Absolute hundred percent. This is a low, this is an easy strategy they can try to hit with respect to this. And I think it's going to have some degree of working. And interesting exchange here. She says, look, you seem like a smart person. Don't you see how fucked up this is? You can't. Not right now, Helly. Question. Not right now. Not right now? What is that? That's interesting. That's real interesting language. That, yeah, because he very easily could have said, please sit. But he says, not right now, leaving the door open that she may, he may engage in that type of, that line of conversation at some point in the future. The fact that he's even acknowledging her words is interesting. We don't know what it means. We don't know what he means by it. But the fact he's acknowledging what she's saying is an interesting concession. With that, and with Melchick turning the book over, giving an indication that he is not 100% sure that the severance procedure completely separates the two memories. He's taking no chances. I got a question for you, Spencer. Are we, are we ready to start developing a sympathetic Milchik theory? I've... I'm with it. Is I'm he, with is it. Is he a fucking... Is he a mole? I'm willing to think that Milchik and Cope will have a certain degree of great... I'm, I'm willing to expect I'm going to have greater sympathy for the two of them going forward than I ever would have thought after episodes one, one and two. I'm starting to see the humans op- occupying these corporate skins. Well, someone has to interface with the innies. And the Audis, too. He does and both. I f- and I feel like the people that you put in charge of watching after the innies are going to be people who are going to be prone to seeing the worst sides of this, right? 
Yeah, they're gonna be the ones. That, <laughs> they're gonna have the weird Stockholm syndrome, the reverse Stockholm syndrome, whatever it's called, where you start to sympathize with your, uh, with, with 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 your hostages. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so she <laughs> she uh, sits down and she has to read this. He tells her to read it. She says, I don't want to. He says, no, do. Here's what it is. Forgive me for the harm I have caused this world. None may atone for my actions, but me only in me shall their stain live on. I am thankful to have been caught. My fall cut short by those wizened hands. All I can be is sorry, and that is all I am. Same thing we heard from PD's tape. Same thing. And he says, I'm afraid you don't mean it. The same thing we heard from PD's tape. And she has to repeat it. And by the third time, this seems to be emotionally affecting her. Yes. Yes. She's having to read this, right? Now, like we suggested, we're not seeing any indication of physical abuse to force her to say it. It's more of just mental torture. Where's the bad soap, sir? I need to see the bad soap. I've been promised bad soap. I need bad soap by the end of the season or I'm done. Yeah. Um, So Dylan says, fun day. Ask Mark if he wants him to get the light. So Dylan gets the light on the way out. Mark is still there waiting. This seems later. Like, they usually leave at 5. This seems like Mark leaves at, like, 8 or 9 o'clock. At least today. Because he stays. He stays later today, clearly. It's clear he stays a little later. Uh, He opens his drawer. He takes out the picture of the new group, the one with Heli. He then goes and collects the picture frames that he hid with the old picture. And he puts in the new picture. As he's doing this, he opens one frame, and he sees what looks like a map. We see Breaking this was PD's frame. Yep, I agree. Uh, and there's the map that he said it, that PD told Mark that he hid for him at Lumen. So there it is. Um, question for you. When Mark took all of the picture frames away and hid them, that was just that was just happenstance that he happened to be hiding the map, right? This isn't he didn't. Yes. This is no this is no connection to anything that he would have known that 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 was the map. Yes. Okay. Uh, purely just a coincidence. We're now cutting back and forth with Petey. His nose is bleeding. Uh, in his map, there's the word mind at the top. I don't know if you noticed that. I at the did. the top of the map. I, I don't know what that means. Don't know. I don't know what any, almost any entry on his, on his map is other than I don't know what the perpetuity wing or things like that are. But the mind thing caught the eye. Petey says to the lady at the counter, I haven't any tokens. I can't eat with no tokens. Mark is walking out. He looks a little stressed. Then we come back to Petey. He seems to be in more pain. He's yelling about token. Cut to Mark, who flips back as he goes up the elevator. We see Mark walking out all the way out of Lumen to his car. It's night out, very late, raining. He has a jacket, and his car is the last one left in the building lot, except one other. Except for one other. I wonder who that could be. Uh, Notable that they purposely framed these two scenes of Petey actively hemorrhaging in some shape or form with Mark leaving. That Petey finally just collapses the moment that Mark goes from any to Audi Mark. Interesting bit of framing attaching those two scenes in parallel. Yeah, and the way they did it, I felt like you probably had a certain small percentage of the audience questioning if there was a connection. Like when Mark flipped, if that did yeah. some sort of mechanical or biological thing to PD or something. Um, I he think gets a, not, but I think they're, they're more meaning it as a symbolic connection. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's an actual connection. I agree. He, he gets home, he calls for PD as he goes down the stairs. He goes out driving, looking for PD. He sees an ambulance passing him. Looks like he makes a decision to follow it. He pulls up to the gas station, and there's an ambulance, some cars, some police cars. He gets out, looks around, and he sees PD walking out of the gas station. We hear this. 
Did you happen to see which direction he came from? I'm just going to grab the stretcher. We need an ID for this guy. I guess he's from nearby. He came with a robe on. These are all the first responders talking about Petey. Mm. Petey looks up at Mark and falls out. They start CPR. Mark takes off. Mark goes downstairs, turns on the light. He hides the blanket. Looks like he's trying to hide everything. Notice that there's a camera zoom on the TV for just a second. Mm-hmm. They linger on the TV. He keeps putting everything back. He hears something. So he goes down to the basement a bit, looking around, and we see a cell phone ringing. And I think that is Petey's cell phone that he's left there. With possibly June on the other end of the line. It was interesting that Petey's last thought, to some degree, was establishing a connection with Mark once again. Because it seems like there's recognition attached there before he just collapses like a doll with its strings cut. Completely agree. All right, episode over. Recap done. I- Again, I thought it was a solid episode. It did a lot of lore and world building. I could stand for it to do a little bit more forward progression just because I'm interested to find out more about how this world is working, but I liked it. It it didn't put me off the way it did a lot of people, it seems. Well, you have the benefit also of being told by people who've watched it. There's something coming. When we were watching it week by week, because at this point I was week by week with it, there was some concern that this might fall flat if it continued this slowly. Um, But it does not, goodly for all of us. I've got, a, I've got a Sherpa, and his name is Lee. All right. Let's go to best line of the episode. Your Sherpa is going to become your emperor now, because I am emperor of the segment. I select best line of the episode every single week. Just me. Just me. Palpatine in my robe. I'll, I'll tell you this. Once you're on the side of a mountain, you better believe your Sherpa, your, your Sherpa is your emperor. Uh, but quotes from I'll me. never know. <laughs> Wise man, sir. Wise man. Uh, first one. Uh, this is from Petey. Yeah, I want you to stop shitting on this awesome robe. Lee, stop shitting on the awesome robe. Ho- hoping, <laughs> hoping he gets the robe back from Petey's corpse. Not a robe guy. Don't like robes. I, I, I've got a closet right here next to me with like three robes in them. Really I'm, uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a robe guy. Really uncomfortable to sit in. Uh, Petey's description, but Fortress of Solitude is a perfect way of describing what Mark's done to himself in all, in all aspects of his being and world. Uh, also from Petey. Okay, but what if the cost of that help is that you're murdering people eight hours a day and you don't even know it? One of the central themes of the show, I'd say, right there. Uh, I got a lot from Petey here. Uh, June is my daughter, greatest kid on earth and a hell of a guitar player. That hit me really hard because that just emphasized again what Mark has abandoned now when effectively can't live his Audi life anymore as a result of his reintegration. Uh, oh, this one's just from the, uh, the, from the Fox News equivalent, but but what do you say to Natalie? To, what do you say, Natalie, to the woman who became pregnant at work less than a month after her company went severed? Woo! Ha- hadn't considered that. That's horrifying. That's terrifying. What kind of coupon did they give you for that one? Uh, from Petey, you carry probably for- probably big bucks, probably one fifty, two hundred bucks. Uh, to Pips? Yeah, of course. I mean, Pips rules. I mean, that could be what three, four meals at Pips. That's worth a kid. Whew. Uh from Petey, you carry the hurt with you. You feel it down there, too. You just don't know what it is. That, that's my favorite line. We'll see what one, which one wins, though. Uh, from Irv, Mark used to find it funny to interrupt Petey's announcements with gas having. I would say all of, per- of Irving's weird terminology just stick with me. Uh, from Mrs. Coble, are you going to make me throw my mug at you? Hurl. What I just did was something I knew that you could handle and grow from. It was very painful for me. I hope that you'll let it happen. Let it help you. <laughs> uh, this one I just found cute, but between Helly and uh, Mark, just it seems like they recognize my face. 
maybe if you wore it inside out. I love he's playing along with it. I love the smile they share afterwards. Cute little moment. Uh, the entirety of Kier's recorded speech is delightfully unsettling. Uh, that whole, you know, woe, frolic, dread, and malice at controlling the tempers inside the man and everything else. That was appropriately intimidating in that way that old-time recordings can do so well. Yeah, the, every single time that like that type of recording starts to play and there's like the crackle and then you hear like the old... Per- I always yes. think it's Hitler. Every time. <laughs> I just fucking okay, think I'll it's you, Hitler. I'll help you. They're not in German. If they're not just, in German, they're probably like not Hitler. listening to Hitler. Uh, last one, totally not Hitler saying this. It's in the natural state of a person to have no history. History makes us someone, gives us context, a shape. But waking up on that table, I was shapeless. Irv didn't mean it to, but that was profound. And that is all the quotes for me. You know, this is an interesting podcast that we've got. Because a lot of our podcasts, uh, R.E. colon, House of the Dragon, Star Wars, uh, we argue a lot on. We don't really argue that much on this one. We, we seem to see it a lot the same way. I'm 100% with you. I couldn't even feign a different choice. Best line of the episode, episode three of season one of Severance. What I always wondered, you carry the hurt with you. You feel it down there too. You just don't know what it is. That's the most... First, it's the most emotionally impactful line in the episode when it hits, right? Because it, because it hits hard when it, when he says it. Oh, yeah. Because we care about Mark at this point. And the second is that it makes me think more than any other line of the episode. Because I start to think, oh, shit. Like, how how much is... Like, how are how are these worlds connected, basically? It should make Mark think more than anything. And if he isn't, it's because he's willfully not paying attention. That, that is a... That is a reality rattler of a line in perspective. Completely agree. All right. It's time. Let's award Employee of the Week here at Lumen Industries. Spencer, do you have nominee for Employee of the Week at Lumen? I'm going to go a weird one. I'm going to go a weird one. You may not like it. You may not like it, sir. Irv, I felt like he'd be low-hanging fruit. I felt like he'd be too easy. We get to see his loyalty to the company, his adherence to the values, his desire to inspire on employees, but that sniping at his boss and trying to undermine the authority with his aggressive Southern charm helpfulness put me off. I'm going to go with a person who I now understand is an employee in a way I did not understand before, Mrs. Coble, Mrs. Selvig, and or Harmony. Goddamn. She is working not only in store, she's working out of shop. She's making cookies. She's doing investigations. She's stealing candles. She is dealing with a boss and trying to manage her own employees. She's chucking cups at you and then making it life lessons. This is who I'm going with. I know it's an outside chance because she chucked mugs at people and tried to make it life lessons. But the sheer amount of work that I did not understand that she was having to do as part of this job, it, I think it merits it this week. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. We don't need to take weeks off because when we take weeks off, you start to become unpredictable to me. Like, I feel like we're getting disconnected here. Change we're up here, man. Any and Audi. Like, I thought you'd, I thought easily you'd pick Irving. I thought that was the I knew obvious you would. choice. I wasn't going to give I you thought that. that. And I thought I'd come in hot and heavy with Miss Coble. I thought, I thought, <laughs> my, I thought my Miss Coble pick was going to be a swerve instead you went with it yeah she's working all the time and she's dealing with a completely unreasonable board and the thing that turned me is that she put her neck on the line she stuck her neck out to indicate to the board reintegration is occurring here and i'm telling you it even though i know i'm gonna get anytime somebody does that when they know they're gonna get chewed out from their boss but they tell them the truth anyway they get my respect 
She, she not only did that, she reported Helly up. She could have tried to bury that. She could have tried to cover that. Instead, she identified what was a problem because she's doing her job and trying to provide the actual honest commentary that she should have been hired to do, but the board's just not listening to. Yeah. She's trying to be a better employee than they will allow. In a in a week where I was sure we would have a, an argument about employee of the week, Look we end up us. landing on the same person, Miss Coble, Miss Selwig, Harmony, whatever you want to call her, Employee of the Week by unanimous accord here on Lumen Industries Radio. Look at us being good Lumen employees, recognizing the Lumen values. And being uniform. Not disagree. No, no, no. You can't, you can't dissent, right, in Lumen. Everybody has to agree. Fuck you, sir. All right. What America's favorite, America loves this. Everybody's favorite segment. What everybody wants to hear every week. They're just skipping ahead 30 seconds at a time on the Apple Podcast Player to get to this segment. Spencer's Questions of the Week. Okay, I wrote. I, I tended to originally write these in order, and then I got all sorts of jumbled, so they're just going to kind of come while they come. I expressed to you earlier I was confident. I'm not, really, though. Did Helly see Helly? Did Helena see Helly there for a second? I don't know. There was a weird little kind of shift in her eyes that either could have been determination or something happening. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll find out in another episode. But I have questions in terms of that. I feel like we're going to know if she comes back the next day. Yes. Uh, optics and design, do they have no oversight? Are they just down there forever? Why is there this general distrust of them? Why are Because they they're, they're assholes and they don't share our values. Didn't you hear? Fuck them. I feel like Christopher Walken just can't get a break from people. There's people are always going to prejudge him whenever they see him. Uh, how many departments are there? How big is the space is this? They're all underground. Do you know how much it how much it costs to dig out underground spaces that are significant in size? What is this world? Privately owned company. Damn Chick-fil-A and their money and their ownership. Uh, how many corporations have gone severed now? Is Lumen the one that's marketing these services? Is these performed by Lumen products or even on Lumen facilities? Are they voluntary? The term gone severed is implying that if you want to keep your job, you have to be severed. What kind of post-apocalyptic, nightmarish, dystopian world are we operating in here? Uh, we pondered this already, but what happens if your innie gets pregnant on the job? You suggested the $200 coupon. I think Lumen may even make it an even five, man. I, th- I feel like that merits just like you are straight up taking other people out to a restaurant beyond just the baby you now have. Uh, the worship of Kier. Uh, it's straight up cult. It's very much L. Ron Hubbard kind of shit. Or Mormons or all kinds of other possible, you know, some, somewhat more fringy religions. Uh, the differing words, though, I found interesting. Uh before we have Kier emphasize woe, frolic, dread, and malice. With the exception of woe, all of those are pretty... They're meant to be very much poles of like a human personality. But the words that are emphasized presumably to, I guess, is the woman his daughter or granddaughter? In terms of the first woman CEO. They didn't tell us. They, they didn't tell they us. They didn't. just she said just that talked her about as a young, heard from her dad. Yeah, they just said her as a young girl. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't say her a direct relationship to Kier again. Well, Kier emphasizes those, and then two or three whatever generations later, she's emphasizing vision, verve, wit, cheer, nimbleness, probity, and wiles, which raises some interesting questions about what degree their you know emphasis on values are changing over time. To a degree, I wouldn't think would necessarily be allowed or particularly published out outright. Who can say? The latter seems to be much more consistent with what we've now heard of the corporate values or whatever else from the book. Um, 
what is Koble Selvig Harmony's interest in Mark? Why does she take a candle? Why does she seem to show some element of compassion or even passion for him? Whoa. To what degree is she just covering when it comes to the workplace? Are we going to have a different shipping problem on this show? I don't know if I can handle a tri-ship going on. Uh, who reintegrated Petey? Why did they do it? Is Petey's reintegration just another experiment that's being done by Lumen just to test things Whoa. and do things? I don't know. How, I don't know if anything in this town is not just an experiment by Lumen. It's named friggin' Kier. Uh, again, emphasized here, is it really just experiments all the way up and all the way down on this show? Is everyone getting experimented on? Is Kier, is Lumen just running an entire world of their own being for the, for, for the purpose of later marketing these things to, to a, a broader population? I don't know. I just have a lot more evidence to ponder about it now. These are my questions I have after these epi- after this episode. Can I ask you a question? Please. So you have started to develop a theory that you kind of drop through the, the recap, which is that everything is an experiment, that even the Koble and Milchik are part of the experiment, and that this is all, you, this is what you dropped this episode, <clears throat> that it's all potentially a research and development for future release of the severed procedure at a larger scale of the yes. severed severed workplace at a larger scale if that's what's going on where does the fact that this is a cult work into that because that what you just described sounds very much like just a regular pharmaceutical company i mean that might have some sketchy morals but like are profit driven well, I mean, it's one thing that they're already marketing it to other companies. I think they also will now be trying to... What they can individually market, though, they're, they're already selling the severance procedure to other companies, assuming that that is something that they invented rather than something that everybody else is coming up with in different ways and different capacities. What they may be trying to sell is not only just the product, but also their culture attached to it. That this is a way to make it work. This is the way it should be done. This is the Lumen way of doing it. And then massively scaling up their operations to do whatever they want with respect to it. Almost like they're doing like, um, you know, those kind of companies that almost just like sell package services of we'll, we'll bring you and set up an entire department for you. This yeah. is their, this is the, this, this is the, what they're selling. Help is that's just purely the little thing in their head. They're selling a working functioning unit. Like slaves, basically. Yeah, they're selling like 12 people. And they're doing the their, they're all moving together. And they're basically doing their own clinical trials in-house. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, you've, you've, this, you've, you've this is a. I leave it to you to to provide the most fleshed out theory about what's going on in this show after three episodes that I've heard from anybody. I'll tell you this: when we were watching this week by week, we didn't have a fucking clue, nor did we have very many thoughts. I mean, there was people on the internet who were speculating, but like most people watching this show were like, "I'm gonna fuck if I know." I've got a week and no one but myself to talk about this with. I have been stewing. I had an extra week to stew on this. Yeah, you had two weeks. Not have you watched episode back. four yet? No, I have not. I don't watch them before I talk to you. It would be cheating. All right. When do you want? When are you going to watch it? Like, Immediately after we're done. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you get to it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We are going to badge out here on Lumen Industries Radio. Get in the elevator, go upstairs, flip our memory, and go to our Audi. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Um, Your ratings and uh, the comments that you leave on the ratings, uh, we like to hear those. We we listen to those. And if you have any comments about what you enjoy, don't enjoy about the podcast, whatever, you can leave those there because I will check them all out, read them, and disseminate them at will to Spencer. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review episode four, season one of Apple Plus's Severance.
See you then. <laughs>